0: Three times. Wow! The guy is trying to tackle him, but he's got his back to Barry because he can't find him. He'll take a 10 touchdown by holy mackerel <laughs> what a run by Barry Sanders. Detroit, there will be a 16 yard penalty on the kickoff, but the play is not reviewable. What up though, One Pride, this is the Roar of the Lions UK Podcast, a podcast where One Pride goes worldwide. My name is Anthony Fitzpatrick. I'm joined this evening by a sideways Ryan McCluskey at the moment for it is a Wednesday evening. You know what that means. It is the college football podcast. Three crosses in La Cruce, New Mexico. Ryan, after a season of the college football hangman with his Feet up on the table, playing Call of Duty Modern Warfare with Kyle and Murray. No head coaches have been getting fired apart from the naughty ones. This is the week where one goes, they all start to go. There's two weeks left of the season. More and more team seasons are ending. And with that come the coaching casualties.
1: Yeah, a lot of seasons now have gone up in smoke. Teams have realised it's too late to make a ball game. It's too late to try and get what they want. A lot of coaches run hot seasons anyway. And instead of waiting to the off-season, because a lot of guarantees and bonuses kicking, in- if they're still hired by certain dates and contractual requirements, they've just said, let's just jump the gun early. We'll fire you now. We'll pay you with what you owe you. And then we'll have time to see what an interim can do. And lower before next year, when they probably make a permanent hire. So... They're going to give some opportunities to interim assistant and offence uh, coordinators for the last few games of the season to see if they're hey we want your programs. Up. But I can't say I'm surprised by nearly any of the firings right now.
0: I mean, the, there's been a sort of all sorts. So we've got a retirement, we've got four firings, we've got a hiring as well, and like all this is going crazy. There's news going off elsewhere, so we've got a lot to talk about today. There's only two weeks of the regular season left now, so the race for conference championships is hotting up, some the conferences are already decided some of them, there's still as many as five teams involved, it's crazy, so we're gonna get down into all that stuff there, we're gonna go through the news, gonna go through all that, then of course we're gonna take a look back at the action from week 11 just gone before taking a look ahead to week 12 as well, and if we get a chance we'll, uh, we'll do our bit about edge rushes as well later, just depends on how Long it takes us to get through this. If we don't have time, we'll move it to next week, but we will do it. It'll, you know, we will do it. So, yeah. Anyhow, shout out to everyone who's in. Brent is in the building on YouTube. Hope you are doing well, Brent. Thanks for bearing with us. we well, a few minutes late this evening. My computer decided that it wanted to do all its updates and just as I was preparing to go live and get everything set up. And so I've had to sit here and wait very impatiently for it to get all its stuff done. But hopefully, that means it's going to run nice and smoothly this evening, as opposed to the last two weeks where I've had issues. So hopefully we're all good there. Uh, I know some people watching in on Twitch as well. You got any questions? Just fire them to us as the evening goes on, and we will answer them when we get chance. We will uh, we will segue them into the show quickly. Just going to go through all the housekeeping. Am I the right way around now? What? Am I the
1: right way around my camera? Yeah, you're
0: the right way around now. Yeah. My phone's really funny sometimes. Oh, okay. no. <laughs> no, no, we've we've got right way up, Ryan. Now, so that's all good there. Sporting is nice. Royal Lions UK cap there as well. Um, so yeah, let's get the housekeeping out of the way. Get this done. So Royal Lions UK Discord. If you want in, let us know. We'll send you a link. The main podcast will be back on Friday. We will be previewing the Chicago Bears game this upcoming weekend because that's right. It is ftb week and we want to smash them big time um don't forget to like and sub to everything youtube twitch all that good stuff don't forget about lions nation unite herman moore's pet project bringing together the best in lions content creators together on youtube content by the fans for the fans, and don't forget, we're an affiliate on Twitch, we're monetized on YouTube. We've got a tip jar, so if you want to help us that way, great! But we just love having you all in the building, and we've got a feedback form on there as well. So anything you want to say about the show, just let us know, and we take all feedback on board. Right, let's just crack on with things this evening because we have a ton to go through. We're going to dive right down into the news. And first up, just a few little bits of injury news to go through. First off, just want to send all our thoughts out to the Virginia running back, Paris Jones. He is in an intensive care unit in Louisville. Um, He was stretched off um, after a really scary hit in their game against the Cardinals this weekend, just gone. He was, it was a hard hit by Cameron Kelly, nothing malicious. He caught a pass. It was very hard contact. His head got snapped back by the impact. He was on the field for a very long period of time. I know because I was watching it on Friday night, I think it was. Um, he regained movement in his, in, in, in his extremities on the way to hospital, but he required spinal cord surgery. Um, which he had to have on Saturday. It requires a week-long stay in the ICU. Then he's got to transfer to a rehab facility in Louisville where he's going to stay for up to a month um, for rehab. He won't be able to travel back home to Virginia until that part of this rehab is completed. It is a serious injury, so really hoping the best for him. And That's just a rotten piece of luck for a program that's only a year removed from losing three of its players to the shootings last year, and now they've got to deal with this as well. So, all the best to Parrish Jones. And the other big running back injury this weekend, Ryan, specifically Texas running back Jonathan Brooks, suffered a torn ACL, and he is finished for the year. Had 1,000... 425 yards from scrimmage this season 1,139 of them are rushing he was going at over six yards per carry with 11 total touchdowns Brooks was widely considered by many to be the running back one in the upcoming 2024 NFL draft class but with an injury of this magnitude and he's still got a couple of years of eligibility left the odds are now it's likely he may well come back to Texas next year instead. And a running back room in the next draft, right, which we already said lacks star names, let's say, and maybe not so many day one or two prospects has potentially just got even thinner with this injury.
1: Yeah. I think these are really difficult because he's got to be careful. I said, if he comes out this year... And he gets, he goes around or two later because he's coming off the injury and he loses money up front. That'll hurt. But if then he decides to rehab, have another year of college to try and make sure that he gets healthy again and goes in the first round, he risks further injury. I would say, I remember when Chuba Hubbard stayed a year extra and it was plagued of injury. And he, I thought he was one of the better running backs coming out of OK State two years ago. Stayed one year too long. And probably went a or two later than he could have done. If I'm him, I take the time to rehab. I miss the pro days. I miss the combine and all that. But I think I still declare, you always strike while the iron is hot. And like you say, this year, I don't like the running back class. He's still got a chance to be taken really high. So I don't think he should put it off any longer than he needs to. And for Texas as a program, like I say, hoping to have back, he was back this week. Still on the, the cusp of the the Big Twelve the playoffs. This is this is bad. It's terrible. Like the have got the backup still on that the the cusp of them, them, like, the nation's best running backs. This this is discovers them so late in the season. Let's like, see how they overcome it now. If if one of the quarterbacks can take, but they've still got depth. They'll still be great running backs, twos and threes. But it's going to be hard to replicate that on such short notice, unfortunately.
0: Yeah, it's a shame for him. He's having such a great year. Texas on the cusp of the playoffs and, you know, they they need him in there. You need a balanced rushing attack um, to go with your passing game with Quinn Ewers because obviously he's been hurt. He's picked up the slack in the meanwhile. So it's, it's very difficult. And, you know, like I said, the decision is really hard for running backs especially. You know, you risk further injury coming back, but at the same time, you know, your stock might be so good. At all in ACL now, you will not do anything in the off-season circuit. Like, you, you will do nothing. No training, no pro days, no,
1: you a know. A yeah. You can have a Hendon-Hooker season that here. You can have an NFI for yeah. most of the um,
0: Yeah, so that's the issue there is you jump too early and, you know, you, you then sort of scupper your chances going in because it's easy to get lost in the running back cluster in the NFL. Like, really easy. So, you um, know, you risk further injury. Uh, yeah, it's tough, and I say now going into next year, running backs—they're going to be sparing in the draft, unless some really break out in the postseason process. And that uh, there's you're lacking a lot of star names now, so not the year if you want a running back in the draft. But hopefully for Brooks and for Paris, they both are able to recover as fast as possible and get back to playing again. Um, right, let us move it on. Um, Sorry for the brief cut-out of the stream there. It seems to have quickly come and gone, so hopefully you are all still with us. Um, We're going to move on to some further news. Um, Quick bits to go through. Washington State and Oregon State, Ryan, they've had their court ruling in their favour that they can be the only two governing members of the Pac-12 board. Given that all the other teams are leaving, we talked about this not so long ago. The restraining order they have put on. So, if there's any future moves made, adding new teams to the conference, etc., they can be the only two teams that make it. And you know, finally, sensible, a sensible decision from a judge regarding college football matters.
1: Yeah, it's. And everyone understood the fact that that departing teams would but get destroyed, what happens to a a conference that they're abandoning. Remember that, that, that quartet that went down with a sinking ship on the Titanic, still playing the violin and their the, the <laughs> little singer? That, that was Washington State and Oregon State. And like I said, they're, they're the only ones that should get a say. I really hope that the Pac-12 can somehow be salvaged. You've got to look at that. You need five power schools, but just finding conferences for two teams is probably easier than finding 10 decent standard teams to rebuild the Pac-12. So, I don't know. I, I, I've got a feeling, and I hate this would not be good, I feel like we're going to see loads of FCS approvals of applications the next year or two to try and fill the shortfall. And that's probably not what I want to see, because I don't think they're going to be the teams that a lot of people are wanting to. But, yeah, they're going to have to act quickly. This season, this off-season, is do or die for the Pac-12. Uh, and they're... I don't know how they salvage it, they're gonna to have to find somewhere and somehow of getting teams to come, whether it's football only, on the shortest terms possible. They're not gonna get them in time for next season now because 'cause I'm pretty sure you they've not got lot left. I don't know what the hell happens next year. <laughs> right there, the the Pack two. I, I don't know if it's gonna work out. It's this off season something really weird is gonna to have to happen to make sure there is a conference player next year. But at least they're the ones that get to They either get to put it out its misery like the the deer and over with stick, or they get it to vet vet equine surgery and save its life. (laughs) Who we're gonna find out?
0: (laughs) Who knows? You know, maybe you know Michigan might be a free agent soon, given that they're all their belly aching with the Big Ten and that. Who knows? They could do something special. Like, take Michigan, take Notre Dame, and all of a sudden get that rivalry in the Pac so twelve. Just, no, just
1: just Notre Dame should just do him a favour. All yeah. the independents. Just go join the Pac Twelve for one season.
0: Yeah, apart from UMass. Like you you can do whatever you can do whatever you want, but yeah. <laughs> oh dear me. Um Right, let us move it on. Other bits of news I had in here. Um, oh, this was brought to our attention by, or brought to my attention by Paul last week on our Discord. I appreciate that he messaged it. Well, he highlighted it during the show, but I missed it. But a big development in regards to the off-season, Ryan. So from this season onwards, juniors who declare for the draft will be eligible to participate in the college football postseason All-Star games, specifically the Senior Bowl the East-West Shrine Bowl, Shrine Game, and the HBCU Legacy game. So previously the rule was that only seniors, or above, like super seniors, were allowed to participate in these games, or juniors, providing they had already graduated from university. Uh, This new ruling, though, now means that all juniors who are eligible for the draft, or who have declared for the draft, can compete in these games, providing they receive an invite to the games and reading stuff from the likes of Matt Nag, um, Matt uh, Nate- oh, the guy who does, is it Matt Nagy? It's not Matt Nagy, is it? It's Jim Nagy, sorry, who does the Good senior idea. bowl. He, he seems to be all in favour of this, so they might have to change their title soon. But again, maybe another sensible bit of rule coming in here are, you know, these juniors, the guys who declare a little bit earlier, now get an even bigger showcase for them to show themselves as to scout in the postseason process.
1: Maybe, on pop opinion, I don't like it. The senior ball is for seniors. So, why don't we have a junior ball? There's enough of them to make two teams, is there not? There's plenty of coaches. Let's have a senior ball, a junior ball, hula ball, East West Shrine ball. Just give it, like I said, if you want to get them as much as possibility, then give them their own game instead of like because you can't call it the senior ball anymore because they're not seniors and yeah, I, I agree that underclassmen declaring should get a chance, excluding them was never fair because they were at a big disadvantage because yeah. they never got to meet NFL coaches, like I say, in, the, in these, uh, these celebratory games, but it just don't work because the rosters now have to be split like half and half junior seniors, so that's one half of the seniors that now don't get a game or don't get selected, it's great for everyone else. Unless you're a senior, and it's terrible because you've just lost 50 percent chance of playing or even making a team. It feels like it? like half and half. Junior. I think they should just add an extra game. It doesn't have to be a junior ball, but just create a new one. So, like, I don't know. I don't know. what You call it, like, you say <laughs> anything. Just create a new game. Get some NFL head. Some special teams of quarterback coaches to, to referee it and then just, just just create another one altogether. You're going to have to because you're going to have so many players now that are going to be these yeah, special I, eligible uh, that the rosters are going to be too small to accommodate them. Yeah. But it does, it's good to see. Yeah. I do, I think, because seniors have got a long time to decide, but if you want to be a junior and declare for the draft, you've got. To, is it tenth? Is tenth of January, in it? Like yeah. you've got to put your declaration, in by then, yeah. or you've got to return, or you can't declare. So they're under pressure straight away. at The moment that their their regular season is over.
0: Yeah, I I agree with you. I I agree with the decision to let them in, but I do think this would have been like a good chance for you know the East West Shrine Bowl because everyone goes that takes a backseat to the Senior Bowl. That's like the the lesser version of it, if you would. It's like the league cup to the FA cup here. If you could make the juniors available to the East West Shrine Bowl, then you will get more of the younger talent, those juniors, and you will increase the stature of the East West Shrine Bowl. Whilst the senior bowl stays at his usual popular self, I figure it was it, it would have been good if they had sort of carte blanche over all this new great junior talent that they could have in this game. Whilst the senior bowl still gets the best of, the, you know, the best of the seniors. So I agree with the decision to let them in, but I would have limited which games they could have gone into. To to not the
1: senior. I think eventually as well. The combine will be expanded. Yeah, well, it needs to be like a whole week, not like three or four days. How many players go at the combine currently? Three hundred and fifty. Something like that. I mean, it's not enough. No, it, I, it's going to go to like five hundred in it. it's, it's got to. It's going to take a lot longer, and it's going to be a lot more difficult, but. I, I will gladly watch six, seven days of combined footage, well, and like, I, I, that is the dream.
0: Well, I mean, there is that, and I know that we discussed this last year, I think, they were looking at the possibility of the conferences doing big pro days, so, you know, the American yeah, do theirs, on the, that. they get them all together, so it's like the Big Ten, they would have one big pro day and do it in like a combine structure where they all come together do everything outside of the main indie combine as well so you, you can still do that and plus so then like the players from Rutgers will get the same level as the chance to shine as players from Michigan and etc so I, th- I definitely think there's going to be change coming in that direction but for the, for the juniors good news for them they get to go in the all-star games when they are done there and the other bit of other news I've got in here, this was also mentioned not so long ago. Um, there's expected to be a decision made tonight on James Madison and Jacksonville State in regard to postseason waivers. So they are both under bans at the minute from ball games and participating in championship games. It's it's too late to do anything about the championship games. Um, but there is expected to be a decision made, so they hopefully will be able to participate in bowl games if they get through. James Madison, especially, could be, you know, representative in the New Year's Six Bowl from the G Five, given how well they're playing. So it'd be a big deal for them. And Jacksonville State, they have qualified already, so it'd be good for those two teams to get a nice bowl game. A eh, Ryan sense to sort of kick in for other teams as well coming forward.
1: Unfortunately, that's why I reckon. I reckon they get the door slammed in their face. Because I don't think they'll want all these applications and waivers and this fuss this year. It's caused them a lot of grief. And rightly so. Okay. They are silly really rules, but it's caused them the sons a headache. I don't know if the outcome will will be what everyone wants tonight. I just I just don't feel like they're gonna set this precedent where if you change them tonight and let them go in ball games, then you kind of need to get rid of the rule altogether, don't you? You can't just make a one year exemption. They'll make a. I think what they should do is this year, right, decline these tonight and then next, say from next year, all teams that come up, you've got only one year or one year where you can't be in a championship game but you can make a ball game. I think that would be fairer. I'd like say you can't. Give these two an exemption tonight for a ball waiver and then next year, if someone applies, you turn around and say, oh, well, no, because we don't like you. You're not good enough. I think a blanket rule will fit for all. Yeah. If you're going to decline every night next year, tweak the rules, half it from two years to one year. That would be best for the game, I think.
0: It would, and of course, you know, any other future ruling wouldn't help James Madison because their band's up this year. Now, next year they can compete anyhow, regardless of what happens. But for Jacksonville State, it would be big, and, you know, it would be nice if they'd be able to, and for other teams coming up, it would be good as well. I mean, even putting some sort of rule, if they come up and have a winning season, like, get rid of the eligibility. Like, Sam Houston this year have been terrible, so they clearly don't deserve that sort of thing going into a second year. But, I mean, it's quite clear James Madison did. You could have said last year, it's like, right, you've been really good, you've made the step up, the band's lifted. Just just put some sort of parameter in place for them going forward and make it easier for the teams coming up. Because I think they're going to be a lot, given conference realignment, more FCS teams are going to be on the way. Yeah, with all the teams the are way, losing, yeah. you've
1: got to make it more attractive Yeah, for teams to come up. If you keep these rules in, maybe north dakota state and south dakota state don't want to come up because they think for two years what's the point yeah you're just gonna hamper us anywhere and indian people come up straight away and win seven games i was about to say, game. The, the way north money the... The money.
0: yeah
1: one ball game in the fbs won't probably not make them anywhere near as much money as no. winning an fcf championship mm. don't quote me on that if anyone can find out the numbers of like prize money if i'm right there mm. but it feels like I know which one is probably bigger for the school and more lucrative.
0: Yeah, and you may as well go for the likes of North Coast State at the minute because Those
1: they're not good. They're not good right now, this year. You're waiting for rule changes before they make the jump. Yeah. Up. If you make it more luc- lucrative for one of them to come up, the other ones coming. Yeah, they're all coming together at the big teams like them because yeah. they probably want to go straight into the same conference too.
0: Exactly. So there's an opportunity to be had there if you move these rules out. the
1: well. Go get North Dakota State and South Dakota State, and that will be super fun.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, there's there's a way you can save them. You take Boise State in there as well. You, you know, say maybe even convince Notre Dame to be like a a guest member for a year or two, give them good rights and whatnot, bring them in. There's a way you can save it, and there's a way you can reboot it. So, yeah, let's see if common sense prevails there. We'll see what they say, because they might say more bits in there as well right let us get into the head coaching changes because a lot to go through the first up we have a retirement or we're going to have a retirement so san diego state head coach brady hoke well known to Michigan fans he has announced his retirement at the end of the current season he's been coaching FBS football since 2003 I think he's about 65 now he had a six season spell with Ball State culminated in a MAC West division title in 2008 although they lost the championship game to Buffalo he had a first stint with San Diego State two years then got his big break with Michigan in year one, won the Sugar Bowl with them, had a really good year. But the three years after, the record kept falling and he was eventually fired in 2014. He had a break until 2020 when he came back to San Diego State. He went 4-4 four and four during the COVID year before a big 2021. The team went 12-2. and two. The 12 wins are a school record for most in a season. They ranked number 25 in the final AP rankings and they won the Mountain West West Division title and the Frisco Bowl against UTSA, but they lost the Mountain West Championship game to Utah State, but... Kind of like when Michigan things started regressing again. They were seven and six last year. They lost the Hawaii ball to Middle Tennessee. This year they are currently three and six with just one conference win. This will be San Diego State's first season with a losing record both overall and in Mountain West play since 2009. So it's been going sideways. But overall, Ryan, a very respected career. He's Turned around Ball State and San Diego State. He's brought, you know, he's brought the standards up of both those teams. Turned poor teams into good ones. Finishes with a well. He's 104 and 90 in his career so far. He's won division titles in the MAC and the Mountain West. Very respected head coach, all round. Just quite didn't quite work with Michigan, but maybe feels like times right for him.
1: Yeah, I think he's reached the ceiling. I think in the past he's taken them as high as he can get them, and since then things have cooled off. And he's been around the block a long time. I feel like they're a team that have had good success in recent years. It's it's always hard to replicate that success or to try sustain it. So let someone new, someone younger come in, someone bringing fresh ideas. I think. It's one of those nice, rare things where he leaves with his head held high, on his own terms, and everyone's got the utmost respect for him. He's, he's not stuck stuck around too long and disgraced himself or dragged his name through the mud. He knows when to call it a day.
0: Yeah, he's very highly respected at San Diego State. They love him there. They put up a big, they put up a big passage about him the other day, and you know it's. Yeah, it's just not work for them. But overall, he's made that program a hell of a lot better than it was before. And, you know, happy retirement, Coach. Hope things go well for you there. Myle Marcus joined us in the building. He goes, hi, guys. I'm with you on the North Dakota, South Dakota State thing. Could be done yet. Could be. Just needs to try and be facilitated by easing those rules up. Right, let us get into the firings now. There's been many. And the big one, Ryan. We never thought it had come because of the buyout, but they finally had the stones to do it. Texas A&M head coach Jimbo Fisher has finally been canned by the Aggies after a six-year tenure that saw them win no Natties, no championship game appearances, no playoff appearances, no SEC championships, not even an SEC West title. And this buyout is huge. So, as it stands, 25% of his deal, which is about 19 and a quarter million, is due in a lump sum within 60 days of effective termination. Then, another roughly 7 million has to be paid to him within 120 days of effective termination, so they've got up till March the 11th to do that. When they pay him that first 7 million, that starts the annual clock through the rest of his deal, which runs to 2031, so they have to pay him 7 million a year on that date, every year till 2031. And there are no offsets in the deal if he takes another job, because sometimes if a new coach gets another job, it's like alimony, you get to stop paying it, but they don't. They're with him until 2031 now. The assistant coaching staff buyout is roughly 8 million. Then they've got to buy out their new coach's contract from the current school if he is indeed hired. The new coach's salary is going to be around 7 million a year. And the new coach's assistant salary pool is, like Jimbo's, going to be about 8 million million. Um, A settlement can be negotiated to pay it all out at once or at a reduced rate, um, but who knows what's going to happen with it. Um, I mean, his end numbers look okay. He sports a 45 and 25 record going out the door, but when you look at the SEC record, it's 27 and 21. It's barely better than 500. The, The the numbers are not good enough for a team that expects to be fighting for national titles. But I mean, a failure to even win the division once in six years, let a glum get near the playoffs too much to ignore six years into a tenor. His only, you know, what he could say is an argument against this is that they were unfairly left out of the playoffs in the COVID year. They got ranked fifth. A lot of people thought they were unfairly left out, but still when all that's gone on, it's not good enough. Um, the last win, a blowout over Mississippi State, but Ryan, this has been coming. Texas have pulled the plug and they're gonna be paying for this mistake for a very long time.
1: Let this be a warning to colleges and how they hand out contracts to coaches and NFL, like i say it's all it's all guaranteed. Uh anyway, like I say, but still they pay silly money in college football. I know it probably is a some of my bigger brands, but this is what happens when head coaches go wrong. Yep, yeah, it's, set, I think, $7.67 million he'll get in a check, let's like say in March, every year to, to like mid uh, <laughs> that, that That's set for life at his age. Like he is laughing all the way to the bank. And yeah, on paper, he did pretty well, but people need to look past the paper. They need to get out the old volumes, dust them out, have a read. Because, like I said, in conference, it wasn't very good, was it? Like I said, he never got close to a sniff of winning the SEC in that time. And this guy had four- and five-star recruits coming out his ass for most of the time he was there. Like, like uh, or Miller, the four-star wide receiver, he, de- he he decommitted as soon as they fired him about a week ago. Like I say they've lost, they're losing, their recruits are it, the guys that he's brought in. But, yeah, he's had a plethora of talent in his time there. And I'm not saying it's all his fault, but the fact is, when you earn that much money and you're one of these big, high, heavy bank rollers, you've got to deliver. And he's not got anywhere close to delivering anything for the Aggies. And it's a very interesting list of uh, potential candidates. There's some really good names, but... The problem is, I see good names, but then I look at the roster and think, that's not a roster that's ready to win anything. No. No quarterback that I actually like or think is the future. That's been there for most of his case. He's never really had a standout quarterback, has he? No, uh, well, Weidman's injured. No, no, Johnny Man- was Johnny Manziel a star, or was he just a character? Was that, a character that would have been one.
0: before his time, I think, wouldn't it? But well,
1: I think just a bit just before. before but... yeah. So, yeah. I look at that and just think, Aside from a check-in an in the SEC, I don't think I'd take it. I can't turn that team round. Like I say, Mike Elko, Dan Lanning, who I think would be the best hire, but I actually think he might be the hardest to get because twenty
0: million buyout. He's got a twi- yeah. Like
1: <laughs> the, the fact that you're on the hook for all this money, can they afford to pay someone big name? No. Well, let's put it this way: I know one name they're not buying out. And that's
0: MCDC. Yeah, that, let's, let's just can that now. I've seen it. He's a, he's a Texas A&M alumni, great. But there's no way Campbell's leaving his job here. He is on the verge of greatness if he takes he the Lions anywhere. Years, yeah. If, if the Lions won a Super Bowl in the next five years, I think he'd quite happily retire and go go, I, I go to college there, football. One, yeah, for
1: sure. But not right now. Not no. well. well we're near,
0: no. no, I think right now he's in his pomp to be training adults i think there will be a time in his life when he gets a bit older and he slows down a little where it'll be like that's better for for high school kids and he can impart his knowledge there, he's Lane,
1: there yeah. I, he's or like dion i can't see him getting another sec coach i mean Could you imagine dion, he's on like seven and a half million dollars a year anyway you yeah. have to buy out his own miss deal i mean D- i think i like matt campbell iowa state I think this would be a good task for him.
0: So I was about to say, so obviously Dion's been said, but the betting favourites so far, there's, there's three in the... In Mike Elko? Yeah, so you've got Mike Elko, Jeff Traylor and Dan Lanning. So Mike Elko obviously has the most to do with it because he was defensive coordinator there for him before he went to Duke. So Mike Elko is very much respected on the a okay. campus... He is known there. He is respected, and look at the job he's done with Duke. With far less resources, he's built Duke into a very competitive team who could have been challenging in the ACC this year if not for Riley Leonard's injury. So for me, that makes an absolute ton of sense. It's just, are they going to go after? What he's not a fat. He's not a fancy name, and you know you've got to please the students there. But you've got I, them, I go after
1: Willie Fritz. Well, Willie Did Fritz could be in
0: it? there, but Jeff Trailer as well. I mean, Jeff Traylor's the other name, so obviously UTSA, he's in the Texas area anyhow. He recruits like a champion there for them, and they two CUSA titles in a row. They're part of a three or four-way fight for the American this year. He could have three titles in three years, and they say he recruits hard. So the kids in the area know him. And he's going to be great for recruiting. So I can see why that's there. But that obviously is a massive leap for him from UTSA. I've seen their facilities and they're... <laughs> to what you get with Texas, it goes through the roof. But he's a Texas lad through and through. And then Lanning, I just think that buyout's too high. 20 million. They're, they're on the hook for 78-odd million here. Just to Jimbo alone and his staff, let alone the new guys. So... Um... My market goes, it's the alumni you have to please to. I think Elko makes a ton of sense because I think he pleases everybody. He is the Texas A&M guy. He's been there. He's made really successful defences and he's shown that he can develop quarterbacks at Duke. I think you get him a good offensive coordinator, that'll work. So that is the one certainly
1: I'm yeah, looking better at. for. Either. I, I think Duke, they're about to lose Royal Leonard. This is the right time to leave. I reckon that this, this, this peak that the Blue Devils have got Will be short-lived. And yeah. I think Mike Elton should get out now. Yeah. I think that's the right move for him.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Um, right, let us move it on. Ryan. Um, <laughs> this was a good one. The second guy who's been fired this week happened to take place in the same game as Jimbo this week. Obviously, um Texas AM smashed Mississippi State and it wasn't even close. And He lost his job despite the big win. And the guy on the other end of the receipt lost his job as well. And, of course, that is Zach Arnett. He has been fired by Mississippi State. Arnett was the replacement for Mike Leach, who sadly passed away last year. Arnett was in his first year as head coach. And, I mean, to be honest, he didn't have it easy. He was defensive coordinator under Leach and a highly respected one at that But after his passing, he had one week to set the team up for a bowl game, the December signing date for all the new recruits, and deal with the transfer portal. He was also hired whilst Mississippi State was searching for a new athletic director. So the new hire had no say in Arnett's appointment, which may explain a few things. But things haven't gone well this year. Arnett moved away from Leach's air raid style of offense. He's tried to install a pro style offense. It has not worked. They have only scored over 17 points once in seven SEC games. They are four and six on the season, but they're just one and six in the SEC. And that one win was a 7-3 victory on the road over Arkansas. Results have not been great, but given the situation he inherited, This seems particularly harsh after less than a season, maybe. His buyout is $4 million. It's subject to change, though, if he is hired by a new team. And there are likely to be a lot of calls coming for him because he is a high-level defensive coordinator and very well thought of. Ryan, what do you make of this? I mean, out of all the firings, I find this one the hardest as well, given how little time he's had in such a tumultuous time in Miss State's history, but not been the 80s choice, bad results. I guess maybe we should have seen it coming.
1: What I don't understand is, at the time he was hired, not having an athletic director, why did they give him the job? Why didn't they just make him an interim so he didn't have to be fired a year later when the athletic director clearly never wanted him? Or why didn't they just not have a head coach and wait until they hired the athletic director that could have hired his own head coach. It feels like he's been thrown under the bus here as a bit of a scapegoat. Like the season, yeah, everything that happened last year left an incredibly sad and bitter taste in the mouth. Now this, this, this firing—it feels very unjust, very premature. But at the same time, Will Rogers. I'm pretty sure he's the yeah he's the highest passing yards leader in SEC history, and for a fact he's he's the best passing quarterback in SEC history of all time. And Mike Leach, the, who birthed air raid football, why would you try go away from that? Why would you try break something that wasn't broken in your first year as a head coach? You think you just leave things as they are because they were okay? I might say, well, Rogers now. It's his, like, it's his final, final year and it's been a stinker and he's now got to go to the draft and you're losing your quarterback, like I say, you're losing a head coach and the team is still trying to pick up the pieces from last year. It's a bit of a disaster and the AD never got to pick him. That's the, the previous regime's fault for hiring him, knowing that they they should never have put him in a position to be the head coach because an athletic direct really should be picking his own head coach, but I probably would have at least given him the season. Like to not even let him have the last two games to try make a ball game. It just feels pretty harsh. And then like you say, his contract, like he's owed money and uh, God forbid he take a job anywhere else. Did they, they they make him give that money back? That's a piss take. Yeah. Like, that that that's pretty stupid. Like yeah. I say anybody Mississippi State have had some really, really good defence the last few years. He won't have to worry about being hired as a DC. No,
0: no, 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 not at all. Um, he, he will get a lot of offers going. For I...
1: I would take the Aggies job in a heartbeat. I am not taking the Mississippi State job. I no. am not interested.
0: No, it, it it's a bit of a difficult one there. So he's gone. He will get a job. Really soon. The second a good DC job comes up, he'll be the one who gets it. Greg Knox takes over as interim head coach. He was the interim for the team after Dan Mullen left for Florida in 2017. He then followed him there as well, but he's back. I think he was a special advisor to the offense on the team this year. He takes over as an interim. Interesting names to replace him, though, Ryan. And the one at the forefront of that. Is the aforementioned Dan Lanning? He, you know, they un they had an unparalleled amount of success under him. He turned them from a bottom feeder into perennial bowl teams who were a nightmare to play against and produced some really good players. I think it was Dak who was his final quarterback that he had whilst he was there, and those teams were really good. But so they fell out when he left to Florida. He's doing work on the TV at the moment, but. If they could mend bridges, that that might be a good place to start back to if you want to reset the franchise again back to better days. Oh, Mullen? Yeah.
1: Oh, right, yeah. Uh, They always say sometimes you don't go back to an ex-girlfriend. I say, yeah, you you know what to expect. Things can never be as they were.
0: When you left her for a better-looking girl as well.
1: (laughs) It kind of feels like this team after the passive leech does need some stability, doesn't it? Like, he's he ain't going to come in and nothing's going to drastically change, but he might settle it down a little bit. problem is with head coaches in college football, you can't just give them a one-year deal because they'll never take it. They need the security. I'd be wanting him on a short-term deal just to bide some time and we look for a long-term replacement, but that's not a thing in college sports, is it? You'll probably get a five- or a six-, seven-year deal. But... He's the, he's the safest hire you could make, he and is. maybe that's what they need right now.
0: He is, um, but the so he's top of the betting. But the three guys behind him who, and, and this job's been open a bit now, so the odds are there. The three names Lance Leopold from Kansas, oh. Rhett Lashley from SMU, and Jamie Chadwell from Liberty. That is genuine bona fide interest, being that he's been there one year, but it's a G5 school, and this is the potential to take over a team in the SEC, but some interest. Obviously, Leopold's done a fantastic job at Kansas, specifically with quarterbacks. The offense there is firing. The defense is pretty good as well. Rhett Lashley, if you want to go back to air raid, like, Lashley and SMU have been the very definition of air raid these last few years. One of the highest explosive offenses in the country. And then Chadwell, we know what Chadwell can do. He's, he's, he's offensively minded as well. His teams score a lot of points, but they're also very tough to play. This Liberty team this year is just kicking everybody's ass. I mean, I wouldn't mind seeing all three of
1: those there, to be fair. I, I think it's a more realistic list than who Texas A and M think they're gonna get, if I'm honest. <laughs> and like say Leopold Dunn, he's turned the The last two and a half years, like he's had a revelation at Kansas. Like saying he he deserves a good hire. Chadwell, I don't know. I was surprised when he left Coastal, especially who he left them for. Would he really give up that? That cushy meal ticket with Liberty right now, like say just cruising through an entire year. Is it too much too soon? Would you risk your reputation jumping up so high after a year? Because like, I see the flames, it's kicking ass and you you shouldn't always leave something so good so soon. So that would be uh, that would be the gamble. I'm not sold on the SMU head coach. I, I I look at like their player turnover and the the star players have had like I'm not sure he can pull the big names I think I think I'd probably go with Leopold take yeah. some of those big 12 names over even some of the Jayhawks themselves yeah even they for the job is done.
0: yeah and he's a younger head coach what is he, about 45 46 exactly so like you've got the longevity of there as well potentially so yeah I, I I'd like to see Leopold there but we'll see what they do um back into the mountain West uh, Boise State have fired head, head coach Andy Avalos. He was in his third season as Broncos head coach. He's well-tenured with the team. He was a star linebacker for them in his playing days in college. He has been defensive line coach, linebacker's coach. You know Guys like DeMarcus Lawrence, Leighton Van Der Esch have come through his system. He was defensive coordinator. Then he went for a brief spell at Oregon before coming back as head coach. He went seven and five year one before sweeping the Mountain Division last year, 8-0, but they came up short against a ranked Fresno State team in the championship game. Uh, they're 5-5 and this year. They're 4-2 in the Mountain West, coming off a big win over New Mexico, and they're still in the hunt. For the title game so it seems a big decision to make at this point of the season for someone who has done so much for this team his record in the Mountain West is 17 and 6 so it's hardly bad but Boise demand championships the level of expectation at this team is incredibly high and he's in three years only delivered one Mountain Division title nothing else so you know He's fallen short of very high expectation there. He's three years into a five-year, $7.75 million deal. Uh, He had a base salary of $1.4 million a year, rising by $75,000 a season. But the cost to get rid of him is still unknown. Uh, The defensive coordinator, Spencer Danielson, takes over as interim head coach. you surprised that they've done it so early, Ryan? Or are you... Or are you not surprised, given that the level of expectation there is
1: championship? Or you're out the door. I'm not surprised, but it also feels like <clears throat> it's a bit of a head loss decision. Like they don't have anyone in mind. They're not going to have to pick of who they want. This team is still reeling from the head from losing Brian Harsin. Like I said the guy had 81 games in charge. He won 64 of them like a 0.799. One of the greatest, one of the best head coaches in college football, like the last 10, 20 years. Like I say, he was an abs- he had them, they were a powerhouse. Left them in 2019. And since 2020, like I say, it's been rough. They they've had ups, they've had downs, but they have the power has completely shifted in the Mountain West Conference. And despite yeah, like I said, going eight and last year in conference losing the title, that's really the closest they've had a sniff in the three years. So it just feels like this guy, unfortunately, is a byproduct of a team that is used to dominating, and those days are over. And I think the fans probably need a bit of a uh, reality check. You're not that. After I know, of, like since like 2000, like they're a powerhouse, and like with the SET teams, and like a 0.81 win percentage at the best in the nation. Those days are over. You are not the big boy of the Mountain West anymore. Like I said, everyone else has called for you. So you need to lower your expectations and you need to give a head coach a chance. It feels like he's been forced out. I say they're still in contention very loosely. It was never going to happen. But it's a very attractive job because they're a massive team, but you're coming in and they expect results pretty much instantaneous and they will not settle otherwise, which... It's difficult,
0: yeah. I agree. It's it, it, the expectations may be too high there. Uh, I feel like you've done a really good job in the grand scheme of things, but you know, they, they believe in championship. Yeah, and and they have struggled this year, not, not gonna lie, but they're still in with it with two games left. And the Mountain West is a cluster this year, so who knows what could have happened over the final few weeks, but. It's done. Interestingly, so the four names we've got at the top of the betting for the job, three to one favourite, Brian Harson. They reckon that he might go back and try and reclaim his glory days there. But the other three, there's some interesting names. So second favourite, four to one, is Kellen Moore, one offensive coordinator of the Los Angeles Chargers, who we've just faced recently. Then you've got Ryan Grubb. Um, he's six to one. He's the current offensive coordinator for the Washington Huskies. Like, you know, he's probably going to get a job at some point soon, the way they're playing. And then at seven to one, an interesting name you'll know about more than me, Brent Feegan, currently Montana State head coach. So a lot of teams on the West Coast have been going with FCS coaches recently, most notably Stanford. Um, any would you go back to Harson or would you maybe look at one of these younger guys, you know, these offensive innovative minds? Because I know Montana State, they play good, aggressive,
1: offensive football. There's there's certainly a type in the betting here. If Harson will come back, I think I'd take him back in a heartbeat. I think that he'll bring the feel good factor. Like I say he he knows what's expected of the jobs. He'll win the fans back on side as well. It's not like he left like when it was too late and things were going bad. He left at the peak, left at a pinnacle, like you say one of the best head coach winning percentages of all time. And I feel like it'll be weird, like say sometimes it's just wrong when coaches go back, like say, if it, like why? Why is he the favorite? Where is he now?
0: He's he's not since he got fired from Auburn. I don't think he's coaching right now.
1: Yeah. See, like he left for greener pastures. Do you just take him back and hope he brings back the glory days? Like he kinda ditched you. And then I don't go Kellan Moore. Good offensive coordinator in the NFL. But I don't know, coaching a college team sounds a lot different. Like it's not the biggest it, it's not something that just step in. Now Montana State, they in the last two years have been absolute juggernaut. I say, and they have they've sent some players to the draft. He is they are they're right now, this weekend, they play Montana with the number two actual ranking in the nation on the line. So, I reckon a lot of Boys State fans were watching that. But yeah, he's got that program right where it needs to be. And he would, this would be a huge jump for him. It'd be well earned. But you only take it if you know it's going to work. Because Montana State right now are a really good thing. And you've got to be very wary about leaving them because they're in a. They're in a good, a goddamn good place. So, but I like that. I think that'd be a really good hire. Look at Stanford, struggled this year, but they took the Sacramento State head coach, and they in the last two or three weeks they've been a lot better. Started slowly, but sometimes these these FBS jobs they're just too hard to turn down. I reckon Harsin will probably get it, and he will either go glory days, all's forgiven, like he never left go back to dominating, i will be like, this was a mistake, probably gone again within a year.
0: It'll be like at Fresno State, won't it? You know, he's just gone back there, won a title, but then they're sort of a little iffy in year two, and, you know, Tedford is it there. So, yeah, i go with one of the younger guys. Personally, I like some of these guys coming out of the FCS. Like you say, at Stanford, they're doing better now. They look good. and and that's a massive job to turn around. So if you see noticeable improvements year one, like that's a good sign. So we'll we'll see with that one. But I the one to one
1: AFL head coaching job in it. I can't yeah. see him. Point, no,
0: he? no. I I don't know. I guess I don't know if he's an alumni there or I don't know if that's where he's. Come from. obviously it's the right part of the world to
1: be. He's not I too far away. But... I could be wrong. I I feel like he's played there.
0: He might have, yeah, that might be why. Because if he's looking for a head coach job, you go to Boise State, win a few titles, you know, in the Mountain West in college, and all of a sudden you route back to the NFL's Open, you'll get a high level OC job somewhere. It depends, it, you know, because if he gets fired from LA, you should get another job, but you just never know. You don't want yeah. a firing on your record. But- you want, like, I moved, like, not, not, I was fired. Um. Anyhow, we'll move it on and, uh, staying on the west coast a lot of west coast so this isn't official yet but ucla head coach chip kelly is reportedly set to be fired after the conclusion of this week's game against usc although apparently a win may spare his job till the end of the season but ultimately he, he's going to be fired um the former eagles and 49ers head coach was highly sought after An offensive coaching guy, you know, he's highly thought of as an offensive guy. He had big success with Oregon before his NFL stint, um, but it never clicked with the Bruins. From the start of 2018, he's been there. His opening three year record of 10 and 21 was the worst of any UCLA head coach in the modern era. Uh, They improved to eight and four. And then to nine and four in 2022, they finished 21st in the AP polls and that got Kelly a new two-year extension to take his deal through to 2027, but they re- they've regressed to six and four this season. They are just three and four in the pack 12 and they are coming off defeats to both Arizona and Arizona state um, who are right at the bottom there this year. Um, They've never seriously challenged for the Pac-12. Kelly is said to have had a highly fractious relationship with the UCLA donors who have stopped giving money in some cases. Um, Attendances have been a problem, specifically the Rose Bowl game last year was really badly attended. There are reports that players are disgruntled with his coaching methods. Apparently, there's going to be a big exodus of UCLA players when the transfer portal opens up. And with the move to the Big Ten upcoming it feels ryan like ucla are trying to you know start fixing the damage that apparently he's caused there before they go they want to be as settled as possible and and to make matters worse his buyout he's going to command is just a shade under 9 million dollars as well as the uh, the cherry on top of the cake
1: what a mess i didn't like the hire anywhere cuz he had baggage didn't he he always feels like he's got baggage like now, like he feels like he's getting harder higher, but there are bigger issues here. I will put lots of money down. Dante Tymore is hitting the pole. He's gone. I think he already regrets going. He's he's shown flashes, but he's not looked great. But I reckon this Chip got him there. He won't follow Chip Kelly because I think Chip Kelly might struggle to get a good time job. But Dante Tymore is as good as gone, and I reckon he's going to Oregon. <laughs> I think he's going to replace Bo Nix. Well, he's been there before and he was highly recruited by them. I think he'll be the next. But, yeah, if you're losing to Arizona State and that quarterback didn't have to throw a touchdown, that's a pretty bad performance because Trenton Borgia only threw a pick and no touchdowns. UCLA, yeah, we thought, oh, impenetrable defense, five-star quarterback, fantastic run game. None of it's materialized. Like say, and if there's the rumors, they're rather not happy. The players aren't getting on well. The Pac 12 isn't good by a lot of standards, even a lot of teams, you should be competing in the Pac 12. And you're about to now go to an even more competitive conference. It's probably the right time to get rid. You take your medicine, like Mary Poppins said, you pay out, you pay your buyout, but you got to get the next higher right. And you don't give an the extension so early. Don't make a rod of your own back. An incredibly attractive team because the Bruins have got a huge fan base. And if the fans aren't going to watch, it tells you so much wrong. Like I, said, I I, think this next move to next conference, I think it's going to end up going probably going south pretty quickly because it's not a team that's ready to move.
0: No, no, not when you've got problems with recruiting and your donors and all Loom sorts. That part the area. They're,
1: they're screwed if they Don Amar hits the pole. So I'm interested.
0: What, what way do you think they'll go? Because he is going to get fired. I don't know why they're bothered about the timing of it, but they're going to the Big Ten. So for me, I, I would be looking at coaching candidates in and around the Big Ten. You want someone who knows the conference, like, intimately... And there's a plethora of good coaches in there. You know, I'm thinking, is it Jim Leonard, the Illinois defensive coordinator? Someone like that. But then you've got a plethora of talent over on the West Coast as well. Like, you know, group, the Washington O.C. you've got there. I mean, you'd have someone like maybe Jed Fish, you know, the Arizona guy who's just revitalized and... Should they stick with, like, a West Coast guy over there or, or do you think they'll go the route of trying to get someone with Big Ten connections?
1: I think for recruiting purposes, when you're swapping costs, you need a specialist. I think you need someone that's got feet and to help the ADs and the boosters, you need someone with fingers in pies up in the north and on the, the east. I think they need to get someone that can bring a quarterback. They need to have a head coach whose quarterback will die for him and will enter the portal and will enroll straight to UCLA if they're about to lose Dante Moore. Because they can get one, but I don't want to be going at the Big Ten for freshman quarterback. I want an experienced potential big ten year coach and maybe a big ten quarterback. So yeah, I think they'll go down the experienced route. It's not the right time to have a gamble. Not if the players are bloody lighting like, in the and pitchforks and the fans are happy. You've got to get someone on side. You don't take a gamble.
0: Yeah, i I think that I think they'll go down the route of getting someone with big big ten connections. I think you have to, but then again, I guess you need a West Coast guy so you can keep recruiting guys from the West Coast because that's where your main recruiting base is. I guess a lot of these, you know, Michigan, Ohio, likes recruits aren't going to want to be at a school in on the West Coast. Northern so. Maya he'd recruit a quarterback wow <laughs> a oh god I don't know it, it's tough for them like how do you balance it you, you, you want recruits from the west but you need to play in the east so it's, it's incredibly difficult it's going to be weird to see how they try and they try and balance it out you're going to need kids who are very
1: flexible in what they want to do with their careers they've got They've got a lot of people on their books with deep pockets. Yeah, so they can buy UCLA can buy out anyone they want. Yeah, and, and they've been saving a lot their of money won't be able to compete with them. Yeah, and they've not been spending their money on chip. West Coast teams will just throw money about while.
0: Yeah, yeah, and they've not been spending their money recently because they've not been giving it to chip. So they should have a bit more money than usual. But yeah. Uh, chips done in UCLA. We'll see which route they go down for the new guy. And then the last bit of news that actually dropped today a hiring of all things at this part of the season. Northwestern, Ryan, the Wildcats have hired interim head coach Davis Braun as full time head coach. And what a job he has done! He only arrived at the program this year from it was, I think it was North Dakota State or South Dakota State. Pretty sure it was North. He's come in as defensive coordinator for Pat Fitzgerald. It's his first year there. Then Pat Fitzgerald gets fired with all the hazing allegations. The university is absolutely steeped in rotten sewage at the minute when it comes to news coming out of there. The culture's toxic. They've had players leave through the portal. It's not been the easiest job at all. And despite all that, Ryan, they are 5-5 five and five and have chance to get bowl eligibility this week. And this was a one in ten team that lost its longtime head coach, that lost its players, and that is mired in controversy. The job he has done there has been nothing short of really damn good in his first year. And this could be very well earned for him. It's not going to be easy, especially with conferences going and UCLA and USC arriving, but he's he's done a really good job in a really tough situation.
1: Yeah, it's good to see that someone on that athletic board actually has common sense. The guy's come in, he's drowned out the sound from outside, he's stopped all the external factors getting in the players' heads and the sidelines and the crowd, is focused on the football and has got them playing average football and could lead them to a bowl game. And honestly, with what's going on and what's still yet to come, I say that all the the depositions. They're about to probably go through numerous lawsuits and cases and court hearings in the next few years. He's he's not worried about any of that. I say that's not to do with him. I say he's a new, fresh face. The players that are still there and have stuck by have stuck by him and they've bought into what he's trying to do. And I really hope to get bulk in. Don't care for the team. I don't care for a lot of the the faculty and the things that have gone on. But players that have stuck for him, they play for him. And if they're rewarding with bowl game, it's a very well deserved hire. Not many people could have gone into there, what's going on, and got a strung out of that, got any tune out of that broken old guitar. Fair play, to them. Next year will be the real judge when things probably settle down a little bit, and then people will have expectations. But yeah, they say the Big Ten is about to get. I think the Big is about to get harder than any conference in football. They're about to merge and you say, yeah, get two relative West Coast powerhouses joining. The Big Ten is about to be legit. Yeah. So let's see what he does. Exactly. Let's see what players he can keep hold of because that's the be big thing. Portal will open in a few weeks. Does Northwest have another exodus? I hope not. I don't, that would be not fair on him.
0: Yeah, you would like to think that he's going to be able to retain the core of his team this year and add to it and, you know, so there's going to be a lot of talent out there, hopefully he's able to get for it, but great work by him and well-deserved on the hiring and hopefully, at least on the field, Northwestern are in for some better times going forward. Right, that is everything for the news. There's an absolute ton to go through this week, but we've Got it all in there, I think, just about. (laughs) Let's get on to talking about some actual college football that took place this week. We're going to go down into the week 11 review, and as always, we're going to start with our main games, then we're going to go on to the upsets, the survivors, the pick watch games, other games, and this was a bad week to be a seed, because nearly every seed struggled this week, only a couple of them got out of this, a lot lost, uh, even more just survived, but yeah, we're going to go dive down, and as always, Get into the title of the pod you talked about first this week. We are Three Crosses Outside La Cruce, New Mexico. That is an homage to the film Three Billboards Outside of Ebbing, Missouri. If there's any Martin McDonough fans out there like me, I love all his films. I thought that was quite good. La Cruce, of course, famous for the three crosses to the north of the town or the city which it symbolizes. And there reside the New Mexico State. Aggies, one of three teams we highlighted last week who were coming up for a big job interview this past weekend. You know, a team that has been bad for a long time now, having the opportunity to go and fight in its first year in the CUSA for a chance to dance with Liberty in the title game. On the road to the Western Kentucky Hilltoppers, the only other team who could stop them doing so—the hardest fixture they could ask for—and let's just face it, the kill train is rolling into the CUSA title game at the first of our first time of asking. They did it with a performance befitting of a team who has earned it. This is unfamiliar ground for them to be in such a high-profile fixture, and as I say against a matchup against a team that has had one of the most devastating offences in the country for the last few years now and has experienced getting to the title game. And, you know, early on, this didn't look good for them. They started nervous. After two minutes, Austin Reed found Elijah Young down the middle of the field. He took it 72 yards to the house. He broke four tackles in the process to put the Hilltoppers up early. And then five minutes later, Western Kentucky back in the red zone. This time, Reed runs up the middle from 13 yards out. He breaks another three tackles and dives in through a fourth man, takes it into the end zone, and with barely seven minutes played, New Mexico State find themselves 14 nil down on the road, so it looked ominous. They managed to settle, they got a little bit of offense going, they got on the board with four minutes of the first quarter left, a 40-yard field goal to reduce it to 14-13, and then things started to get better for them. Things fell into place on defense, they started making stops, the offense and the run game specifically started getting hot, On the first play of the second quarter, the Aggies, they pulled off this beautifully blocked jet sweep. Jonathan Brady ran it in to the left-hand side, right on the perimeter, touchdown reduced the deficit to four. And then with six minutes left in the second, they take their first lead of the game. Diego Pavia finds Trent Hudson from four yards out. He makes a stunning one-handed grab by it. It's an over-the-shoulder throw. Under pressure, back at the end zone, he catches and secures it with one hand, with his back to the ball. Gets both feet down. Incredible catch. New Mexico State take the lead, seventeen to fourteen. But Western Kentucky hit back just before the end of the half. Five seconds left. Um, Reed finds Craig Burt Jr. in the end zone, also from four yards out, and again. This is another beautiful one-handed grab and secure, but this time it's over the receiver's head. He just snags out a big paw, brings it in. Great catch. Um, 21-17 to Western Kentucky at the half. And then the game descends into a big war of attrition in the third. Both sides going back and forth, making stops, and it takes till under four minutes to go in the third quarter. When New Mexico State land the first punch, Star Thomas breaks off a massive run down to the Western Kentucky seven to set the offense up. Pavia finds the backup quarterback slash occasional tight end, Eli Stowers, the Texas AM transfer for the touchdown. They retake the lead 24 to 21. And then after that, nearly a full quarter of play elapses with again defenses just making stops, teams going back and forth. But with four minutes left in the fourth quarter, New Mexico again are the ones who strike. Eli Stowers comes in on a second and goal from the seven. He breaks off a designed quarterback run. Really tough as well. Goes through two tackles to get in there. Puts the team up 31-21 to establish a cushion over Western Kentucky. This forces them into hurry-up offence, and it brings about the only big quarterback mistake in the game from either team. Austin Reed is picked off at the New Mexico State 45 by safety Makai Miller, um, there's just three minutes left at this point he returns it all the way back down the field for a pick six courtesy of some really good blocking of movement from him I think he came back 47 yards all told and the game's over at this point 38-21 with a few minutes left Western Kentucky have to go even greater tempo on offense to try and set something up and to the credit takes them 70 seconds to get down and get a consolation touchdown 15-yard pass to star wide receiver Malachi Corley he then also converts the two point conversion to bring it to 38 29, still a two score game, but they can't get the onside kick back. And New Mexico State kneel it out. We talked last week, right, about these teams. There was them, there was UNLV, Arkansas State, teams who were not used to being in a position with big pressure on a game and big expectations. And after a really nervy start on this one, like, Jerry Kill just has created this disciplined, ferocious attacking team that will drag you into the ground, like Dan Campbell does, and he will reduce you to a street fight, take your offense, render it nullified, and he'll batter a win out of you, and that's what they did in this.
1: Yeah, it was a very fitting game for two teams that were battling over a potential title spot place. It, it, it panned out exactly how people thought it would. People say that the team that has been there before and done it has the advantage, but then they've also under pressure. But I always think the team that is the underdog, no pressure on them because they've got nothing to lose, everything to gain. I think they're the one usually that probably goes into the game a little bit more relaxed, a bit more calm. And that was New Mexico. The fact that they, a lot of teams thought before the season that they'd never be in this position they have been ruled out already. Like I said they were that, that dark horse that they could just dare to dream. And they finished off their season in style. Yeah, started slowly and it did look ominous. It didn't. It wasn't a great first quarter, but to not drop the heads and to turn it around and wrestle back momentum and begin to then slowly just chip away until they could pull away into a healthy lead to help them see the game out is a very credible commendable effort from the players the coaching staff and they're on the cusp of a fairy tale here who if they go into that game and take down linear well a potential new year six ball berth is is not out of the pit question if all no. the teams up and they did they did capture this like honestly you'd have to think they'd get a good ball game and it would be nothing less than they do deserve but yeah Purveyor has been fantastic all year. I say he has really, really turned some heads this season. I
0: mean, how many times have we seen a championship game between two teams where one team's like smacked the other in preseason, uh, in preseason in the regular season, and then it gets to the championship game, and then tables are turned. Like the team that got spanked during the season then turns it round and and wins the big one. I mean, anything is possible for them now. Just to put into perspective the job that Jerry Kill has done there. So, their record as an independent since 2018, before he arrived, they went three and nine, two and 10. They went one and one in the COVID year, and then two and 10. Again, they were a veritable punching bag for everybody. They were the butt of everybody's jokes. Them in New Mexico, they just couldn't win to save their lives. He's in just year two now. He got them to seven and six with a bowl win as an independent in year one. And then in year two, they sit at eight and three with a six and one CUSA record. And they're going to the championship game at the first time of asking. Now, obviously, if Jacksonville State were eligible, they would still have to win one more. But, you know, a win is a win and getting there is a big thing. And it all starts, as you mentioned there, right, with the quarterback, So at the start of the season, when I had my mini tantrum with New Mexico State, because we did label them as a dark horse for this conference this year, and they started off really bad. Well, Diego Pavia, he turned the ball over seven times in the first three games, including their loss to Liberty. There were four picks and three fumbles, and this was a problem he'd had all throughout his career. So seven times in three games. In the eight games since then, he has had just four Picks. So he's averaging half a turnover a game after being at about two per game to start the season. He's had two picks and two fumbles. That's it. He's at 2,252 yards for the season, 19 touchdowns, and six interceptions. But if you take in the last eight games, he's got 13 touchdowns, two interceptions, and six of the eight games have been multi touchdown games you look at the running game, Monte Watkins has 531 yards, an astonishing 11 yards per carry. Main running back Star Thomas has 515 yards at six yards per carry. And Pavius, the leading rusher, with 703 yards going at 5.6 yards per carry. So the run game has been great. The offensive line has given up just 17 sacks in 11 games and they rank 11th in the nation in tackles for loss allowed with only 43 given up on the year. The defense, I mean, it ranks dead middle of the pack, but the scoring defense is top 40. It gives up just 20 points per game. They don't rank high in takeaways, sacks or tackles for loss. In fact, they're bottom half in all but sacks, but the defense bends and doesn't break. it's the 11th best defense in the nation when it comes to the red Zone and in two short years, right you know Kill's always been known for doing good defense but I mean the turnaround from Pavia is where it all starts but when you complement it with a sublime running game, good receivers and an offensive line that's playing out of its mind, I mean like it just puts into perspective how great a job he's done.
1: yep he's built the line. He's, uh he's the confidence of all the attacking weapons that when he got there will have been rock bottom. The offence was by far one of the worst in the nation for three or four years. But he's brought in good players. I say players that he knows. He's had some good additions to the offence and now he's built a collective that can go out on its day and can pretty much on its day roll over anybody. And Libby will be favourites and rightly so. But that doesn't mean that they won't be nervous. They won't be worried about playing this team. They definitely will be. And they know that they could easily turn around that regular season scoreline and upset them if they're not careful. So I reckon a lot of people will be having a cheeky wager on them taking down the Flames. Wow. Uh, they're certainly capable of it, especially on offence. If they want to go toe-to-toe and shoot out, then I think they're more than capable of giving them a good go at it.
0: I know I will. I mean, you know, your quarterback's not turning the ball over anymore, which is good. And it's even more so. He's a a military guy. So they got him from, what was it? It was the New Mexico Military Institute. So he played for a service team before this. So for him to get him to be a top-level throwing quarterback who's protected the ball really well, who's dicing people, that just makes it even better. But the run game, so in this game against Western Kentucky, they had 246 yards on 35 carries, that's 7.4 yards per carry. Pavia, 141 passing yards, but he was very efficient. 14 of 24, two touchdowns, no turnovers, didn't get sacked at all. Um so they're in a really good place right now. And the good thing about the Liberty game is they've got the tape to see where it all went wrong. Like turnovers was one thing, they've they've done better with that, but they know how to get at them now, so A tremendous job from them. As for Western Kentucky, right, you feel like their window has closed now. So they need to go back to the drawing board. The Air Raid is failing. I mean, they've had one of the best offences. They've been a top five offence the last three years. They're 65th in total offence this year. And that means that a top five offence can no longer hide how bad the defence is. And get this, (laughs) in total defence, the defence ranks 125th in the nation. It's just one of the worst units out there full period. And when it's not got an elite offense to tag it along, this is what happens. And it feels like they need a full reset now.
1: Yeah. Austin Reed. He can't really have any playing time left. He's one of the older quarterbacks. He's definitely gone. So it's back to the drawing board. Maybe a potential change of style and offense. Yeah. Anything that, can go back masking a terrible defence because they probably won't fix a terrible defence. They'll probably just try and go back to scoring out outscoring people again and just just fix the offence, which is the wrong way to go about things. But it feels like the only way they're gonna know how to do it. So yeah. Their window is slammed firmly shut in their door face. And uh they've missed a big opportunity to make a title game that could be a couple of years again before this comes around. Unless something miraculous changes in the next year or so. Yeah,
0: yeah, I agree. It's um, it, it's not looking good for them, and and for them to get blown out. I mean, they just were beaten out in the second half. It just got to a really rough game, and when you've got air raid and you get drawn into a dogfight, it usually fails. So yeah, not a great day for them. But well done to um, New Mexico State. Congratulations on the ball on the birth in the championship game. We will be rooting for you there. Uh, in terms of the other two teams who we sort of highlighted for job interviews and to whether they could go one further this week. The first one, Ryan, the UNLV Rebels and Bob Odom and what he's doing there. They were at home to the Wyoming Cowboys who still had a chance of making the Mountain West title game. They don't now because on Friday night, the Rebels absolutely destroyed them and they just went hell for leather for them early in this game so they were three touchdowns up in the first quarter. Um Jaden Maeva 10-yard run for a touchdown after not even 2 minutes. Jaden Maeva for a 1-yard run for a touchdown after just 9 minutes gone, so two touchdowns in the first 6 minutes. And with 4 minutes left, Jaden Thomas run for 7 yards for a touchdown. Your 21 zip up rather quickly. Wyoming do Counter a fight back in the second quarter, a minute in, Andrew Peasley ran for 32 yards for a touchdown, and then with three minutes left in the half, Wyatt Violand ran in for a one-yard touchdown. So they brought it back to 21-14, but those were the last points they scored in the game. At the end of the third, Maieva had a pass to Khalil Balungay from five yards for a touchdown, and then they had a pair of field goals in the fourth as they kind of just saw time out and you know this this is another team right the UNLV now sit top of the mountain west with a really good offense a defense which was tremendous in this game I mean third downs Wyoming were 25 percent, which was 12th percentile um, they were explosive play rate was only 5%. That's 16th percentile yards per play, only five, which is 35th. This UNLV team, you know, they they lost against Fresno State a few weeks back. And we thought, is, is that it for them? You know, that was the big test there. Are they going to fall away now? But they've sort of gone away, licked their wounds, come back. And after a few weeks and two big victories, they now sit at the top of the mountain west going into the last two weeks. Another tremendous job done and a great victory for them here over a decent enough side.
1: Yeah, Wyoming Omega half decent. Run the ball well and stop the run well. But no, they they just couldn't handle anything that UNL week through at them. They started, they came out the traps way too slow. They tried to muster a bit of a fight back in the middle, but they were never really at the races. And it just shows that in say but two, two, three weeks, how quickly you can turn things around. You go from in the middle of a scrappy pack to pulling out and being the front runner with just two weeks to go. The manion West is bizarre and fascinating all at the same time. I say there's teams that uh, we thought were going to cruise through that we're going to talk about that have really shot themselves in the foot recently, and then there are those ones that like to capitalise, like the Rebels. That have pounced at the right at the last minute, and it's not how you fin- it's not how you start. It's all about how you finish. And right now, they pretty much control most of their own destiny. So it'd be very fitting for them to sneak in at the last minute into a title game. They did thoroughly deserve it.
0: Yeah, they do, and they're going to be one of the teams to watch out for because they've, they've big game this weekend. We're going to talk about in the pit watch fixtures later, but their destiny's in their hands now. This time next week, they can be in the Mountain West title game, which would be absolutely insane. But that's two teams who passed big job interviews for this past week going. Unfortunately, there couldn't have been a clean sweep in the house. The other team we've mentioned who had an outside chance, the Arkansas State Red Wolves, travelled to South Alabama on the road, a really difficult game for them, and they lost 21 to 14. Uh, They led to an early field goal, but then LeDamian Webb got a touchdown. Jamal Pritchett got a touchdown, and it was 14-3. Arkansas did get a field goal back to 14-6, but in the third quarter, Jamal Pritchett, his second receiving touchdown of the day, made it a 15-point lead, and it wasn't until There was less than four minutes on the clock that Arkansas State got their first touchdown. Jeff Foreman, 46 yards. They completed the two-point conversion to get it to within one score, but they weren't, unfortunately, able to get the ball back and have a go at winning the thing. So, you know, like with these teams, they're not quite there just yet, but... I mean, just a one-score defeat on the road against South Alabama, that's nothing to be ashamed of for them. Where they were at the start of the season, they'll be able to finish this season well and hold their heads high, even if they don't go into a title game.
1: Yeah, the Jaguars, they're not what they were last year, but they're still a threat and they're still a good team, especially on the day. And unfortunately, field goals are always trumped by touchdowns. Yeah. And for a team that had a head coach basically in tears when he lost, what, seven, 76 earlier in the year and it looked yeah. like everyone was like kind of ragging on him because his players had their arms around him. The fact that they were even in contention this late in the season now how they turned it round is a testament to how the players rallied behind him and kind of they picked him up at his lowest. So, yeah, they're not going to the big dance, but hopefully they get a nice second-hand runners-up prize and a a decent ball game, maybe, so they can end the season on high hopes
0: yeah absolutely so you know well done to them they put up a valiant fight not quite got there but you know hopefully better things for the red wolves in the future because they're a team who were really good recently so hopefully they're heading back in the right direction again anyhow let's move it on and let us talk about some of the bigger games now let us go straight into the upset column and good lord we're going to the Big 12 here because the Big 12 is... I can't work out whether it's a dumpster fire or it's the most fascinating division I've ever seen in my life. Um, oh,
1: I'm <laughs> very mad it is, that this, be an old game this is going to be. It is, it is a
0: bit of both. Well, there's several in here, actually. I think a lot of the upsets came in, but the Big 12, number 15-ranked Oklahoma State on the road to the UCF Knights. <laughs> <laughs> this is an actual scoreline. UCF 45, Oklahoma State 3, and it's like, come on, Oklahoma State. What are you going to be? Are you going to be the team that got blown out at home against South Alabama, or are you going to be the team that blew out your rivals, Oklahoma, and then just the next week you're getting blown out by UCF? But the numbers in this are staggering. So we know UCF had a good offense. That was always a thing there. They put down 600 yards of offense in this one. Two hundred and ninety-nine on the in through the air, three hundred and three yards of offense on the ground. The rushing numbers are insane. R.J. Harvey, twenty-three carries, two hundred and four yards and three touchdowns, just shy of nine yards per carry for him on the day. John Reese Plumley back in a quarterback, eleven of eighteen. For 299 yards, 11 completions for 299 yards. That's nearly 30 yards per reception for him on the day, which is just absolutely crazy. You got Javon Baker, four catches, 120, 112 yards. Kobe Hudson, three catches, 96 yards, three touchdowns. Alex Holler, two catches, 45 yards. The numbers are insane. They're all averaging over 23 yards per catch. And then you go on the Oklahoma State side, and it's tough to see. 288 yards of offense, Uh, quarterback Alan Bowman, 19 of 36, 225 yards, no touchdowns, three interceptions on the day. The running game, there was nothing. They had 63 yards on the ground. Star running back, Ollie Gordon, 12 carries, 25 yards, barely two yards Quite per carry. it was
1: the new Barry Sanders. That's yeah. what everyone's been making out for the last two weeks.
0: Yeah, he fumbled the ball and he lost it. So in, in addition to all that, they had four turnovers, cost them 12 points on the day. I mean, good Lord. Right, where do you start with this? This was a, a Roger ring, as we would call it, here in the UK. No
1: one wants to win the Big 12, do they? No, <laughs> they were the front runner. I, I I picked them to win comfortably, and I thought they're a, they're going they're going to now cruise to a Big Twelve title game, and now that is all up in the air. I say after what they did to beat Oklahoma, I mean Gus Malzahn. Do you know what? Credit to him, he is some coach. I say he was he had some highs at Auburn, but he's what he's done with the Central Florida Knights last few years, like. He has made them the ultimate like upset machine. But like, look what they did to Oklahoma and just how short they fell. They almost got a scalp of both of them. Like the Knights uh, are a juggernaut on offense, a defence that can take them away. I- I'm just waiting for it all comes together and the Knights go on and try like win a big twelve title. Like that they 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 almost deserve it because on their day they are a scary team to play. And I know they were the de facto 12-0 national champions a few years ago. That team's almost as good as this one. Like, Their record doesn't show it, but this year in some games, they've absolutely gone out there and decimated sides. They love it when they're the small fish in the big pond, and that's where they are. And, yeah, an absolute disastrous day for uh, for the Gundins and for the Cowboys. Brilliant for Texas and Oklahoma and that, they absolutely love to see these get trounced. I bet they belly laughed watching the entire thing. But yeah, the Big 12 is an absolute minefield. It's all, anyone joining there, join with caution.
0: Yeah, you just don't know what you're going to get with it. I just, I've given up trying to predict. It's like teams blow hot and cold. Like no one is. if any team had even been slightly consistent this year they would have run away with this conference by three or four wins. That's how bad it is. And there are still five teams. We'll talk about it when we've done the games, because I'm going to go through the conference standards and where we're at. There are five teams with a legitimate shot of still making this championship game with two weeks left. That's either brilliant or not good, given so many teams are so involved. But one team who aren't going to be involved because there was another upset in the Big 12 this week, and I'm really disappointed with them. The number 16 ranked Kansas Jayhawks at home to Texas Tech, beaten 16 to 13. And that's odd because the one thing you can always count Kansas on for is scoring 30 points. They've got a really good offense. But I think if I remember rightly, There was an injury to Jason Bean in this one, which didn't help. And Jalen Daniels is injured. And so in comes Cole Ballard, the backup quarterback. Nine of 22, 124 yards and a pick. No receiving touchdowns thrown on the day. Devin Neal did his level best. I don't know. He's coming right up the running back rankings now. 19 carries, 137 yards and a touchdown. Did everything he could on the ground to help this team. But Texas Tech, again, another one of these teams, you don't know what they are, Ryan. I mean, Baron Morton, the quarterback, his number's poor. 19 of 27, 180 yards, no touchdowns, one interception. Again, rely on the running game. Taj Brooks, 33 carries, 132 yards and a touchdown. This This just seems to sum up the Big 12 this year. Just two pathetic performances from two teams who have blown hot and cold and someone has to win. I don't think it's necessarily the better team wins. It's just someone has to win. And for the Jayhawks at home, they just missed a big opportunity because they're out the title picture now. And this was their best chance in years. Disappointing end for Leopold.
1: Yeah, I think this is is Leopold's time in Kansas over as well. I reckon he's going to take one of the big jobs. He's going to get a few interviews. It's a sad way that this is going to end, like I say, realistically. They could have walked in there, sauntered under everyone's noses, and made a big 12 title game. Because no one else is taking it seriously. And last week I made I said watch Texas Tech on the Pencil upset, and I made yes. two bold claims. This one came in, one came in, one I got drafted wrong. <laughs> but I, I did pretty well. I got two right <laughs> out of three. Yeah. You did. You know, Texas Tech. Fair credit to them. Their defense is stingy, And Taj Brooks, they have got one. They might have the best. They've got the best running back in the nation right now. I'm saying it. He has been unbelievable this year, and he is built like an absolute bruiser. Like five eleven, like the guy is like 230 pounds of muscle, mm. and I think he's going to be a sleeper in the draft as well. Like, so he 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 is going to hit the uh, the draft with some serious momentum this year. But yeah, the quarterback hit and miss. Good offensive line, creates holes for the run game. Defence, it's got a few big names on it. There are some stars actually on it, like I say, but overall it does its But yeah, they are always the party people for teams like Texas Tech. They're just not at the level because they don't have the quarterback player to challenge for a title. But they can certainly at the end of the year spoil anyone's party and take a lot of uh, joy from that. So yeah, no one wants to be playing them right now. Not with anything on the line because they've got nothing to lose and you've got everything to lose. But yeah, great performance for them.
0: Yeah, and like I say two really good running backs. Taj Brooks is in there. Devin Neal. I mean, like I feel like he's done a lot of good for Kansas this year. I think he's doing his stop really well as well. So these are two guys you've got to watch out for, especially with Jonathan Brooks now out of the picture. I don't know if either of them. I think Devin Neal's eligible this year, but you know, it's two great guys to watch out on certainly for the future with them um and yeah there's a lot to play for even if you're not going to win the title game now you could still finish third or fourth in the conference with a couple of wins to finish the season that at least shows potential recruits look we're we're up there you know you try and bullshit your way around the fact that it's a terrible conference but you can still play for a lot at this point so great for them and the guy who still is in the running the bectacled spectacle at Iowa State they are still in the running for it as well and there's a massive game for them this weekend so we will talk about Iowa State later but he's still alive best freshman QB in the nation and you know endorsed by this podcast uh, and then the other major upset this week and you know what you know when you know when you say the phrase Ryan I'm not angry I'm disappointed and and that hits harder than been angry. I I believe this metaphor translates really nicely to the Air Force Falcons, who we have done nothing but be nice about all year and have given them lots of praise. Eight and O unbeaten, things are going swimmingly, and then what happens? One loss comes. And one loss becomes two. They lose to Army and then they lose on the road against Hawaii. I'm not going to knock Hawaii here because I really like Hawaii as well. But 27 to 13, they go down. And once again, it is turnovers, which are their problems. Zach Zach Larrier doesn't play quarterback this week because he's still injured. But they had three turnovers in this game they lost two fumbles oh sorry they lost one fumble although they fumbled it twice they threw two interceptions accounted for eight points in the game and an eight point swing would have won this game for air force they'd have been up 21 to 20 if that doesn't happen and just once again the run game 214 yards four yards per carry it's not great 114 through the air hawaii I mean they've strung together two wins in a row now so they seem to have bought it together and they were down early in this but yeah as i say right i'm not angry i'm disappointed in the falcons
1: yeah i was mad at them last week this week i'm just frustrated because what seemed like the fact that we put them in our title game start of the season eight and oh we felt really justified and we almost felt smug. And now they're undoing all that hard work. They've gone from a shoo in to a, oh my God, they might fuck it up at the last minute and miss out on a title game. And they don't come around very often for service schools. So they have put themselves in a horrible position. And it's the fact that two teams I would have, of all the teams they've played, I'd have been like, not these two teams. How, these two teams, why suddenly is like, why did they suddenly start turning the ball over? I said last week, what was it? Was it seven turnovers last week? It was, yeah, wasn't it? Seven, seven to none. Ten to turnovers non. in two games. And nothing on the From opposition. Just, just got off the boil completely. And they have got, they've got to stop the rot. And it has to happen this week. If it mm. do not happen this week, it's, it's, it's probably a good night Vienna. And that will, that will be a very sour note the season ends on. But yeah. Full credit to Hawaii. I did give them a cat in hells chance. Not even with home field advantage. But yeah. Like they went out there and they uh, they got they bested them in all parts. What well, that is a great win for that that program.
0: Yeah, and you know, in fairness, you know, Timmy Jang's doing his thing at Hawaii. He's making them semi competitive again. They are like third or fourth bottom at this moment. They beat Nevada last week. They've beaten Air Force this week. They've got some momentum. They've got a good offense, but the defense is showing up now, which is good because that was what was killing them at the start of the season. You know, they scored loads of points and Traeger was one of the leading passers in the country in terms of yardage, but couldn't stop conceding points. But now they seem to have figured something out and that's turning them into a dangerous team. So they could be playing party pooper for multiple teams in the Mountain West towards the end of the year. So great win for Hawaii, but yeah, Air Force, we're going to talk about you later because you're in the pit watch, but please do not throw this away. You're one of our surefire bets this year that we're looking good with, and now we might have to undergo the possibility that you're not. So please do get better. Right, that's it for the major upsets. Into the Survivor Games, and good Lord, there is a lot this week, a lot of the big teams. Louisville... Ranked 11 at home to Virginia, 31 to 24 winners eventually, but they were down big going into the final quarter of this one. I think it was, let me just double check, but they scored 17 unanswered points in the third quarter. They were down 14 to 21. They were a score behind, and it took a big end-of-game rally for them to be able to get back in things and it was within the final six and a half minutes um amari huggins bruce it was a 52 yard pass from jack Plummer. then the winning touchdown was from isaac garendo which was a 73 yard run and you know <laughs> then ninth in the nation in the playoff rankings here right there they are up at a number that is unprecedented and i think A lot of these teams on the periphery, even in the playoffs, they're feeling pressure now, and this is what happens when you feel pressure. You nearly run upsets like this, because this would have been a massive win for Virginia and would have opened the door for about four other teams to still be in the ACC title game at this point. But Louisville, to the credit, they steal it, but as you've said this year, they just don't look convincing. They look good, but they don't look legit.
1: Nine in the nation—that—that that is a joke. <laughs> I knew I didn't trust them, and even though they keep winning, I feel more and more like my gut instinct was right. That Plomo is serviceable, but he ain't the guy. Their defense that has been stingy has been a little bit more porous in recent weeks, finding ways to win games, but right at the depth, like I said, they're, they're outlasting teams like Virginia when they should be on the front foot and putting them away comfortably. That's not against the Cavaliers, but they know they're a party pooper. They've not been leading from the front most of the year. But yeah, almost slipped up. And in the ACC, that is so incredibly weak. We've seen everyone fall away from Florida State. No one's really mustered a challenge. Apart from this week, it was a close game. But it's been very disappointing, I must say. And like... If Louisville have really turned the corner the Brom and next year they're going to come out and be this potential juggernaut, then some, a lot's got to change in the off-season. They're going to finish the season really strong. They're going to get a good ball game and they're probably going to finish top like 11 in the AP poll or the college path rankings. And for that, that is bloody brilliant. I can't fault that. That is going to be one of their best finishes for God knows how long, to be an actual properly ranked team in the nation and on the the sniffing of the playoffs. But I just don't feel that that ranking really justifies what I've seen this year. It it just feels like a lot of teams around them are so bad that it kind of just highlights them even more.
0: Yeah, they are benefiting from a bad ACC, um, no doubt. But again, you've got to be there to fill the vacuum, I guess. You've got to put some of these teams away, and, and they have. So that's all you can really ask of them at this point. And yeah, they don't look convincing, but... You know, you mentioned Florida State there. They're the next one. They were very close to it. They look like they're starting to feel the pressure now as well. Playing the Miami Hurricanes in Tallahassee at home. And the Hurricanes with a freshman quarterback in his first start. Tyler Van Dyke benched. And they struggled, even though they, it felt like they dominated for very long periods of this game. But they just couldn't put them away and you got into the fourth quarter they're up by a couple of scores I think it was when Keon Coleman got his second one you're like right 11 minutes left 14 up this one is over and then you get that pass from Emery Williams which just bisects about three different guys in the FSU secondary George takes it 85 yards for a touchdown and then all of a sudden their offense goes to sleep. They can't muster first downs. They're throwing it. They're not killing time off the clock. And it gets to the point where there's a two minutes left. Miami have a drive to tie this thing up. And then the most unfortunate thing happens, that Emery Williams, the freshman quarterback you mentioned, gets hurt, and he gets hurt bad, his arm. They've not said exactly what's happened to it, but Mario Cristobal today said, we hope to have him back by the spring game. The spring game's in April. So that's six months away, and they say they hope to have him back. So that is a serious injury if they're not sure if he's going to be back for that. And they have to bring in Tyler Van Dyke, who's sat on the bench all game, and he comes in, promptly throws a pick, and the game's over. But, you know, we talk about all these teams, and a lot of them now, right, you can see the pressure is starting to tell. It's been so long since Florida State have even won the ACC outright. What is it, 20... 14 the last time they won it, even longer since they've been in the playoffs. It's a position they've not been in. They've got a really good team and they're just starting to feel like they're creaking a little bit now and and potentially a little bit vulnerable going into these last few weeks.
1: Yeah, the Seminoles have not, like, sorry, Ash, but you've not been relevant for a long time. Um, That's that's true. Yeah. And right now, I think up until now, it's a mixture of they've had it fairly easy because teams have not offered much challenge, but also they're they're loaded with talent and they've breezed through a lot of sides. And full credit to my that Hurricanes team, they looked brilliant. And in a loss, they played fantastic. And a quarterback, totally inexperienced, naive, worked down the years in his first start, gave the most one of the most commendable performances of the season. He didn't look out of place at all. And I hope he comes back because maybe Miami future is bright under him. And yeah, they struggled. They frustrated Florida State for large parts of the game. Like I say, Florida State, they felt like they had a lot of possession, like drives, but it wasn't culminating in things. They were never in a position to pull away. They couldn't Miami were always hanging on to their coattails until late in the game. And yeah, the injury changes things. Tyler Van Dyke was never ready to come in. He looks a shell of himself. i have never bought the hype in them all. I think Emery probably ties that game. I think I think he's got a great chance of it. Like I say it's a shame how it ended on the turnover, but I won't surprise. But yeah, Florida State dodged a bullet. But at the same time, right now with where their season's at right now, trying to make the playoffs, you just have to win every way you can. As long if you get to the title game, you win the title and you're unbeaten, your ticket for the raffle, the playoff raffle has been bought. You've got it in hand and no one can take it away you. And then they can decipher what was a good win, what was a lucky win. But that will ultimately be their decision. This no. team is finding ways to win. Travis still looks good. Cam Coleman still looks like a star. Johnny Wilson, I know him well being the former Sun Devil. I love him. I, he offers something. Just he's a ridiculous threat. What yeah. a big old gangly monster yeah. on the outside. I kind of have a crush on him for the Lions because we just don't have anything like that. But yeah, that and yeah, they have a serious threat. But Miami, like Kinchins, I love him. He's one of my favorite players in the nation. Like that play where he hurt himself and he just destroyed a guy. Like I said, that this game was fun. I watched the whole thing. The Miami Hurricanes. I think they're a lot closer than they are for a little bit. And I want to see them next year compete.
0: Yeah, I was about to say, I think Cristobal's got them going in a very good direction. Like, I know he gets a lot of hate and that and, you know, people talk about the Georgia Tech game and all that sort of stuff. But I think overall, you look at the talent in that team, the offensive line looks better, quarterback play looks better. Like, all those five-star recruits, like A&M get, like all those big high-star recruits, it seems like they're finally developing them. And, you know, they're getting the best out of them. And they're they're getting there. It just feels like a a learning process at the minute. And they'll figure it out. And with Florida State losing all their talent next year, because there are a lot of them are seniors, and Clemson looking bad, and Louisville, are they going to hang it off? There's, There's a power void to be had at the top of that conference. So they're heading in the right direction. But, yeah, like you said, though, at the end of the day, win any way possible. And the good thing Florida State are doing is they're winning any way possible, And the great thing for me is now that Georgia have flipped Ohio State in the college football playoff rankings, when Michigan beat Ohio State, we'll get number two ranked Michigan against number three Florida State in the playoffs. And we get to watch Ash and the Lions faithful destroy one another, and it'll be glorious. But speaking of teams who are finding ways to win at any cost to get into the playoffs, that leaves the other guys on the periphery as well. Washington, the Huskies. They had a very hard-fought game this weekend at home against the Utah Utes. We know how good the Utes' defense is. They've just struggled with missing key guys on offense this year. But this was a ding-dong, especially in the first half. Um Pennix rushing touchdown starts it off for Washington. Jaquindon Jackson, star running back for Utah. Um, He gets a rushing touchdown back in reply. Uh, Washington... They get a field goal, it goes 10-7, but then Utah take the lead. Bryson Barnes finds Miki Sugalaraga, six-yard touchdown, and they take the first lead. But Washington, as always, they hit back. Roma Dunze, you can't keep him quiet. 34-yard receiving, touchdown uh, 17-14 to Washington. But then Utah hit back right again. Sione Varkey, the do-it-all for them. 53-yard receiving touchdown from Bryson Barnes. They hit them deep on that one. 21-17. Then Washington hit back. Dylan Johnson, five-yard run for a touchdown. Washington take the lead again. Three minutes left in the half, but before the half, Utah score again. Jaquindon Jackson once more. Seven-yard run for a touchdown, and it's 28-24 to Utah at the half, but whatever Washington do at halftime, it works because they sort of slowly take this thing over. They get a field goal in the third quarter. Then Penix finds Adunze for another touchdown, 33 yards this time, four minutes in the third quarter. And then at the end of the third quarter, Utah, um Jaquindon Jackson gets um, another touchdown. So it goes to... Oh, is, is it a touchdown? It's a safety, sorry. Um they give up a safety. 28-21, yeah, got all that there. And then there's no points in the fourth quarter of this game altogether. Washington are just able to battle this one out. Right, They're in an offensive slugfest, but when you've got the best offense in the country, you're kind of made for matches like this. And as always, the defense is, is not great, but when it needs to, it is capable of stepping up and making the stops it needs to. And by hook or by crook, once again... Uh, they win, but Utah kind of feels like a season of a big what-if season for them. If Cam Rising and Brant Kweeta are in that team, they win the Pac-12 this year. I have no doubts about that, because that defence is elite and the offence has just missed them too. and with Jaquindon Jackson and them two, they'd have been unstoppable for me.
1: Yeah, Utah, they just had no spark on offence. Uh, no disrespect to Bryson Barnes. He came in... It's been difficult. He's tried to do the best he can. Like I said, Cam's had a long term injury, but he just it could never Cam shoes. Like saying and Jackson has done real running back spot. But for me, I've not seen any like elite wide receiver as well at Utah. No, no guy has just stepped up and said, I'm the guy like Romo Dunsey has. Yes. Utah just they just don't have that. And Utah is a team that he tries to lean on the defence first to get them the ball back, but Washington rarely turned the ball over. So they didn't have that. They weren't able to get those cheap extra possessions. Utah were the one that turned the ball over, weren't they? Yeah. Didn't, didn't Bound throw pick too? two?
0: Yeah, he threw two interceptions.
1: Yeah. Uh, like, Washington. Washington, a juggernaut. You cannot give them extra possessions. You can't give them the ball like that because, yeah, it's an offence that grinds you down, I'd say, and eventually... You can put as many players as you want on Roma Duns here. You can try keeping quiet as long as you can, but eventually he's gonna win some of the reps, two touchdowns. I say Michael Penich's favourite target. So in the end, Washington wasn't always pretty, but in the end, it, it ended comfortably than it started. And yeah, they stay alive for that, that four seed in the playoffs. It's it's still all in their own hands. Utah a season of what ifs and what could have been. I don't know where their future lies. I don't know what happens at the quarterback position next year. Uh, it, will Cam come back and will he have that spark? Can he get that back? I hope he can. Yeah. But yeah, I, they can't. They've got to stop relying on defense. They're going to have to bring in some maybe some portal players to add some juice to that offense. They can't. Rely on trying to hold teams to a certain tag, an attainable goal that they can score. They're gonna have to be on the front foot from now on. Yeah, yeah, it, Utah would have definitely been in the mix for this Pac-12.
0: Yeah, like if you, you figured like if Dante Moore would have been on this Utah team, they they could have gone and won it. Like keep it behind a good offensive line. Dante what Moore, they, need.
1: they have got to push hard. They've got to try convincing McCullough.
0: Yeah, and I think they would, because look, you have one of the best. That Utah defense, every time I've seen it this year, has been stifling, like, suffocating. It is so good. And it's so frustrating to see. It's like the UCLA defense. It's so frustrating to see it wasted because the offense just can't get its ideas together. And, like, they're going to lose a lot of this talent in the draft. So... But Washington, they just find a way to win. They can win high scorers, low scorers. The defence does what it needs to. Penix is just amazing. A Dunsey is constantly. And Dylan Johnson, another about 120 yards for him. That's scary. Now that they've actually found a running back as well who can take over games, it's like they don't need to put it all on Penix anymore. I think they're the best offence in the country and by some distance as well, they will outscore anybody. And as it stands, I mean... Obviously if Ohio whoever loses out of Ohio State and Michigan, they get their place in there. So they'd be slated to face Georgia. I mean i I'd, I'd fancy I'd fancy them to give them a good go in that.
1: Yeah, I reckon Georgia could concede some points to Washington. I think they'll be the only team that can force turnovers. Penix is usually squeaky clean, but I reckon Georgia might be able to change that. But I reckon that'd be a pure shootout. I reckon Washington just throw it all away and just say, screw it, let's go for it. Whatever will happen, will happen.
0: Yeah, I think it'd be a tremendous playoffs. Georgia and Washington and Florida State and Michigan, I think, would be a tremendous set of I, playoffs games. I am
1: games. hoping for that secretly, because that, that yeah, is fascinating. Yeah, yeah.
0: I just want to see Ash go to war with like the entire Lions community. <laughs> just see them. Do... And Florida State, they're really mouthy on Twitter. Like, Twitter would break. The beef between those two, if they played one another, what a game!
1: I'm going to end up with Georgia, Michigan, Ohio State, and Alabama probably, and I don't want that. <laughs> but I've got a feeling like it's very realistic, and it's it's frustrating.
0: Yeah, to Georgia get there. So I guess if Alabama beat them, because that is the SEC title game now. I guess if Alabama if win, then in,
1: do they have to go both go in?
0: I, mean, I feel it like
1: both have to go in.
0: Yeah, but then you have to take Washington out the equation or you have yeah, to take Florida State out the equation and I feel like Washington are now going to be in their third ranked fi- I think Washington should be in over Florida State if it's strength of schedule so like the Florida State miss out the do- Washington leapfrog them
1: because they've got uh, another top- like if Alabama win the SEC title game Alabama will get the number one seed oh, because geez. they're so hot right now
0: yeah it's it's just oh I don't even want to anyhow we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute we'll come to the all the you know, the, the things that could happen. Um, <laughs> some other games to go through, Jesus. Uh, back in the Big 12, um, Texas, I mean, on the road to TCU, they were up big early in this one, but they kind of just they didn't even walk over the line. It felt like they got dragged over the line in a game which they should have won a lot easier than they did, but it ended uh, 29 26 in Texas's favor. And it's like they escaped Kansas State three weeks, a couple of weeks ago in overtime. It was 33-30. And I was watching the start of this until the stream went on it. And I think they had like four scores in a row um, in the second. And they were 26-6 up at the half. This game is dead and buried. um, 26-6. And then there's no points scored in the third quarter whatsoever. And then in the fourth quarter, I don't know what happens, but TCU come to life. Imani Bailey gets a rushing touchdown. Um, JP Richardson gets a receiving touchdown. Savion Williams gets a receiving touchdown. Um, all within eleven minutes, and the best Texas can do is a field goal at this point, and they're hanging on for dear life at the end, trying not to give TCU one more possession to go out and win this game. It was th- again—is this? This is just nerves. It must be you. You hold such a comfortable lead at halftime over a team who's not been good this year. You know you're cruising, and then all of a sudden they bite you later on. You're like, "Ow, that hurts!" I don't know what to do when. And they just got so lucky again, Texas. Their season could so easily have been dead by this point, but they're still just alive.
1: Yeah. Three quarters. They're in total control. Like you say, they've got a 20 point lead. And I know someone went to the game. Like it looks like they're in cruise control and it looks like they're gonna pick up a big win when they're uh, when OK State are about to lose. Like they're gonna they're gonna jump them. And then TCU are like carbon copy of Texas Tech. They're not in it. They've never been in it at any point, but they're also like, if you overlook them, they can come back and bite you in the arse a little bit, and they can cause an upset because they've got not to play for, and they're still reeling from everything that went down in the last year and a half. So they're they're a team that's backed into a corner like a a like a little like a little kitty cat, back them into a corner, and then suddenly they come out all like claws and teeth blaring. And if Texas had lost that game, I wouldn't even have been surprised because they were so careless and like stays going the fourth quarter because they thought the job was done. And in the end, they scrape up the line again. The fact that the rest of the Big 12 is chaos and that means that they somehow still have survived and just been in it says a lot about everyone around them. And to his credit, Malik Murphy is. It's not been pretty, but he's kept them alive while Quinn was out. Any other quarterback right now might have lost two games and like it could have been all dead and buried. And Quinn says, actually, I'm not going to bother coming back from the injury at all. But as it stands, he's due to return this weekend. Everything to play for. But yeah, they overcome the, the serious uh, Jonathan injury and they're still alive. But I expect them... In the next two weeks, to be a little bit more convincing, like they actually want to make the title game, I need someone to show me that they want to make the title game in the Big Twelve. No one's going to hand it to you on a platter. Texas Tech, UCF, Kansas State, and TCU have shown us that. I said they they will take it from you. They will steal your place if you let them. Mm. So you're going to have to go out there and be a little bit more convincing and thorough. I just don't know anymore.
0: Like with that entire conference, I just don't know. I can't pick someone out was going to do it. You just thought Oklahoma was sneaking away, and then they dragged back, and then you think Texas are sneaking away, and they're like they're getting jammy wins every week, and then teams you think are out of it suddenly back in it, and I say to be a five way tie this close into the season is is crazy. Um, but there there is even more than this. This is what I mean with the ranked teams. Arizona sneaking away with a f- walk off field goal against Colorado. Now, in fairness. We we didn't know whether this was an upset or not last week because it's like Arizona on the road at Colorado. You, you kind of think Arizona were the underdog, but Arizona the ranked team at twenty-one. Um, and let's you know, we've got to give credit to Arizona. The way they have turned their program around, or what Jet Frisch has done there, I mean, it's an absolute dogfight in the first half, you know. Um, Colorado take the lead touchdown, Arizona level it up, Colorado again, Arizona. Back again, you know, another touchdown for Colorado. It's 21-14. Then they get a field goal just before the half. Arizona do, then Colorado do. So they're down seven at the half, but they come out. Noah Fafita, he is a freshman who's, like, filling in for Jaden DeLora, and we've sang his praises this year. He just doesn't seem phased by anything. They get a touchdown to level it up three minutes into the second half. Then... You know Colorado go ahead again, but then you go into the fourth quarter and then first play of the fourth quarter, touchdown, the rushing touchdown for DJ Williams, and then they shut down the Colorado offense. They fight ever so hard. They get down to the Colorado 7 right at the end of the game. Perfect game-killing drive. They kill all the time. They get to seven yards out. It's a chip shot, and they walk away with... I think it's a very impressive win for them so much as a survival, but on paper, they only just got there. But this Arizona team, we can't forget, right, a couple of years ago, it was a laughing stock, wasn't it? Like, you all were beating them every year. They were constantly bottom. And the way they've turned it around with multiple quarterbacks and a great team, big win for them at Boulder.
1: Yeah, I think Jeff Fisher deserves a head coach of the year, kind of to be honest. But what he's done, not just this year last year as well, he has completely turned them around. He has made them one of the best offences in the nation most weeks. Like I say they have been winning very handsomely. And, yeah, he's gone out and he's brought a load of, like, cast-offs in to try to speed it up. He's got the right guys in. And it's 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 all worked. It's clicked. And, like I say bowl eligible for the first time in what feels like forever, potentially, next, well, next year. I mean, we're just talking about a conference that's an entire mess and they're joining it. Okay. And that's the best thing possible. Arizona State and Arizona are joining a conference that is loony. And that's great for them because they can just get stuck in straight away. And they don't have, a, they don't have to worry about anyone, really. So I think Arizona Wildcats will, God, they'll like their chances next year in the Big 12. And I wouldn't put it past them potentially making a run. But yeah, yeah this win, I watched the end of it i'm pretty sure they get the ball like their own ten, like 50 seconds left like like a timeout and they march down the entire field yeah and then like say last one spike it down wait till about a second walk off field goal and colorado never even had a sniff never even had a chance in that end and yeah it felt like say they were the favorites it still felt like no one gave them a chance of winning even though everyone knew they're by far the better team, they mm. just just kind of written them off. But yeah, I said Shadur was okay, but we've definitely now seen the the best and the worst of Colorado, and we're we're leaning towards the latter right now. They were not good. Is Arizona, that- pretty much bested them in most departments and got a very well earned win.
0: Doesn't that three and zero start feel like such a long time ago now for Colorado? They're one and six since then and they are just one of the worst teams in the Pac 12 again they they're joint 11th with their opponents Washington state this week they they're playing in the battle of the they're, they're playing in the toilet bowl basically again this week so after all that bluster they've not actually got any further than they I was were out on finish
1: with colorado yeah very that's easily. crazy
0: that's crazy but you know actually you talk about arizona next year and i was shocked to discover this when I was doing the permutations for all the conferences earlier, Arizona have a chance at the Pac 12 title game this year. Yep. They, they're five in a row now. They're five and two. We'll talk about the permutations shortly, but they are not dead. So we'll see what happens. And your guys can actually help them this week because you're a lot playing Oregon and there is what's standing in their way. So I think it's going back to Oregon. <laughs> <laughs> so exactly there's a lot on the line rivalries helping rivals that game's got a lot riding on it this week the the Pac-12 is fascinating this year and I absolutely love it Um, <laughs> a few other upsets so good lord there's so many games this week that we're good. but a team maybe to be concerned about Ryan going forward Tulane the Green Wave They were on the survival list last week because they just beat out East Carolina, who have been awful, for want of a better word. I don't think they won. I think they won one game in the American this year, playing at home against Tulsa, who are also right at the bottom of the American this year. 24 to 22, they won at home. And it was deemed that bad that they got dropped down in the playoff rankings as a result of it. And I don't know if this is, is this again nerves? From a team that played well last year and a lot was expected of them, but it was, this was close. They only won by two points because Tulsa, I think with three minutes left, got a touchdown and they went for two points. They went balls for the wall and went for the tie and thankfully Tulane were able to hold up, but... They don't look like them normal selves at the minute, right? That's two weeks in a row now where they've struggled against teams they should be wiping the floor with. Is this nerves from them that they get into this point of the season now? When a lot of the players who've left, a lot of these are not in. It's it's unfamiliar territory, and they're playoff ranked. They could go to the New Year's Six Bowl for the group of five again, and it feels like big jitters from them.
1: See, but it shouldn't be, should it? Because they they're only doing what they did last year. And we're talking about a 9-1 team that right now, they don't look good. The last two weeks have been terrible. I I don't know what is. Is it the speculation about Pratt? Has that upset him and the rhythm? Lots of speculation about Willie Fritz as well. A lot of people are saying, like, whatever happens, he's gone. Is that in the back of his mind? Is he thinking towards, looking towards his future? Lots of speculation about their key players, the future of their coach. And it seems to be getting in the way of what they're trying to achieve right now. And like I say, everything is still on the line and then their hands, but they don't look convincing. If the season ended right now, would I give him the New Year six ball? I don't think I would. Now, after the last two weeks, I'd be like, I'd probably try to find someone else. I'd probably give it to Libby. Like I say, and that that is frustrating because so you want to, end. You want to, if Willie's going to leave and Pratt's going to maybe go to the draft, like, you want to be on top. Last season was, by their standards, ridiculous. It can be also topped or if not matched this year. And they've set such high stands last year. Right now, the money's the season is at the, the money end of the season and they've taken their foot off the gas completely. And it's not even against good teams. They're terrible teams. They're scraping by. And the only thing, the only people are going to hurt themselves when they lose out on the big ball game. Even if they keep winning like this, 11-1, but if they scrape by last four weeks, they'll have big questions asked asked about them. So, yeah, they're kind of limping to the finish line almost.
0: Yeah. It, see, my hot take is that he's going to stay in college and he'll go to LSU because they're just down the road and they're not akin to taking a... I mean, when they took Jaden Daniels, I mean, we were all shocked, really. He's not shown enough with your lot to go to a prestigious program like LSU, but he's flourished there, and you kind of feel that they're going to have a hole next year. Jaden Daniels is going to the draft. I don't know. I just feel like that could be the hot take. If they put an offer for him, for him I think they could convince him not to go, because that'd be a big year for him. LSU starting quarterback, get some wins, win an SEC West. His stock could go through the roof, and maybe in a weaker class next year, who knows, but intriguing stuff and there's still good lord there's still a couple more unc ranked 24 at home to duke 47 to 45 this was i loved this game i watched it i've loved watching duke this year um it went into two overtimes it took for unc to take them away and duke without riley leonard are still managing to put up a fight. Jordan Waters has been great at running back. He had like 130 yards and two touchdowns. The backup Loftus. I mean, they won the game against NC State, unfortunately for me, with him. And in this one, you go put 45 yards up, 45 points up on the road against the ranked team. I mean, great year for them. It's just, it just feels such a what-if year with Duke but Well, you know, with Riley Leonard healthy, they'd be in the title game for the ACC. I'm sure of it. But UNC, they're just, oh, it's the same. It's been every year. Offense wonderful, defense atrocious. But a great game. But they're lucky their ACC hopes are still alive by the thinnest of threads after this week.
1: Yeah, for the neutral, a fantastic game. If you're a Duke fan or a uh, UNC fan. Probably didn't enjoy it either, even though one lost and one won. Honestly, I don't know how UNC is still ranked. Defence is dreadful. Offence between, like say, Hampton and May has been lights out most weeks. They've been able to outscore opponent. Yeah, ACC hopes just dwindling on by a thread. They're still in it, which is hard to believe. Luckily, like I say, Take, that one said, like somewhat. this will always be someone else's dream. Drake, may this won't be his problem much longer, will it? He's yeah. honestly thinking about going in the top four in the draft next year. So he's just trying to win the season. His best performances he can put on. I don't even know yeah. if he's bothered about the defence at this point. He's no. just trying to fire the offence game to an ACC title. And yeah. like I say, speaking speak about permutations. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure what UNC... They pop. It feels like they need help. It feels like I just don't feel like they can get themselves there. I just don't trust them to. And Duke, yeah, with Riley Leonard all season fully fit, who knows what could have been? And now potentially it could all disappear. Mike yeah. could go. Riley's going to go. If that team breaks up, it's going to be sad. All the potential over there could have just been like, puff. It could just be gone as quick as it came, which is, it kind of sucks. It does. But at least it, they've always got basketball.
0: Uh, they do, and they absolutely twonked Michigan State the other day, which Michigan State fans hated. So, you know, they've, they've, they've got a good uh, basketball team still, bless them. Um, where else? The last one... Oh, I was so close to this, you know, because Brent's a big army fan, and I really wanted this to happen. But the Army Black Knights snuck past Holy Cross 17 to 14. Pretty sure Holy Cross scored all their points in the fourth quarter. They were way behind in this, and then they nearly biggest, most unlikeliest of comebacks, but didn't get me wish. So unfortunate. Brent, you survive for a week there at least. Um, right, let's move it on now into the pick watch games as well. Um Oh, I love this one, right? We we picked this. They didn't let us down. Missouri twonked Tennessee back to the land from whence they came. Tennessee 7, Missouri 36. I have no idea how Tennessee were ranked higher than them in the first place. But Missouri, after last week's disappointment against Georgia, you were just so worried about whether it would affect them and the rest of their season. No, this is a good football team playing some great football, who made a fraudulent team look terrible. Brady Cook continues to be great. He did have one pick, but 18 of 24, 75%, 275 yards, a touchdown in there. Cody Schrader continues to destroy in the running back room. 35 carries, 205 yards, and a touchdown. Luther Burden got his touchdown. He's back up and running again. And as for Joe Milton, uh, that hype in the season dead, buried, gone. Um, it was never justified, and we correctly called it all out as fraudulent. But Mizu Rai, what a great season they're having! They're going to end up very highly ranked, maybe a very prestigious bowl game, um, a terrific, you know, a you know, terrific platform for them to build off in future years, providing they can keep Eli drink bits this summer.
1: Yeah, keeping getting Burden and drink wits, uh be a massive platform next year. Everything they do this year means next year, they'll probably be in the, like, the spring polls, top 10. If they if they win out now and win a good ball game, they should be a top 10, top 11 side next year to start the season. And yeah, they didn't let that. Georgia lost his heart on them. They used it, they channeled it, and they took it all out on a, a crap Tennessee team. Their rating was horse shit last week. And I want to hopefully we see the real Tennessee now next few weeks. I want to see them drop out of the rankings. I'm sick of seeing that stupid mugs. They're frauds.
0: Yeah. 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 100%. They are Mizzou should be the team up there, and Mizzou are the team up there. I think they're down in 22nd or 23rd. They're certainly right on the periphery now. They're a three or four lost team. They're, they're done. For this year, the other pick watch fixtures that we had, we both called Virginia Tech in Boston College on the road 48 to 22. They absolutely thwomped them. Temple lost on the road to USF. We've got that wrong 27 to 23. Appalachian State smacked Georgia State 42 to 17. Believe we both called that. Florida International smacked on the road by Middle Tennessee 40 to six UAB got the same treatment from Navy 31 to six and San Jose State absolutely twonking Fresno State 42 to 18 it's unreal right I picked a slate of fixtures last week that I thought were very competitive and would be tough and we ended up with a load of one of blowouts pretty much who impressed slash disappointed you out of that slate of pick watch games
1: uh u a b the irritating Basically you just picked all my five losses this week. That middle slate, like yeah, UAB. And Georgia State, like that was a, a lopsided scoreline. line. They got their ass absolutely handed to them.
0: Billfer, he's not long for this, is it? We thought two years. I can't even see him making it past like you one and a half. I feel like if they start two or three like losses next year he's got to be done sure you can't get beaten by a bad navy
1: team like that surely no you shouldn't be i so said they had the, uh, the the combatants to take them down it's crazy
0: I, I, I don't get it it's i thought they'd be able to get something they led early but you know they gave up 273 yards on the ground you can't do that against the service team six yards per carry they just had in at them there, and the Navy actually threw the ball a lot to their credit as well. They sort of mixed it up and really took them by surprise. So those were the pick watch games. We we both struggled a little bit this week. The other games I had in there, um, obviously the big one, right? Michigan twenty four, Penn State fifteen. The point, and we can finally. I am. Like lowering the coffin into the ground with James Franklin in it, in terms of his reign in Penn State, that has surely got to be it. How can you have a team chock full of so much talent on offense and defense? And let's be honest, they didn't look competitive against either of these teams. Michigan did not throw the ball once in the second half against them. They said, We're going to, they didn't need signs in this one. They said, us run the ball up your ass. That was it, and and, and that's what they did. It it just makes it, it rubs salt into the wound, doesn't it? When they're like, we're not even trying to hide how we're beating you. We just to kick your ass, and 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 they did. It's it was disgraceful,
1: wasn't it? Yeah, the scar line does a lot of justice on the, for a neutral watching the game. It was a poor game, but Michigan always felt in control. All right. Aller comes up against his stiffest tests in the last few weeks they were too big for him and this team like you say also somewhat they slowed down Nick Singleton as well the run game pretty much nullified and despite getting Chop Robinson back on defence who is like an elite head rusher made some plays, but he can't do it alone and he's no good in the run game for me really so yeah like I said Blake Corham just had a happy day
0: yeah, and he's now got that epic picture of him with, with his nose plaster on and blood spurting off his face, and he looks like a, in War Hero when he and he had all that. Um, it was just horrible. And you know the what? Player.
1: The word I want to fire Franklin, but I feel like his buyout's that high. Yeah, I just feel like they're gonna persist with him. But in that one in ten against yeah. AP, top ten sides in his career, and what's that's... the point?
0: What do Penn State want in life do they want to be the best of the rest or do they want to be you know the bridesmaid who never gets the flowers for the rest of it? that's that's what they are you know all the others Michigan Ohio State getting married in grand ceremonies everybody's watching them taking photos giving them attention and they're just like the background singer who never breaks out that feels like what they are and it feels like they're, what they're always going to be with him he's never going to have a better opportunity. They'll lose a lot of talent this year. I mean, fair enough. They keep the core on offense. Aller will be a year experience. Singleton and Catron Allen, they'll keep. But they'll lose Olu at left tackle. They'll lose a lot of their defense, as they always do. Chop will be gone. It's You're never going to get a better chance because Ohio State suck this year. Um, The other ones I mentioned, Oregon... Number six beating USC thirty six to twenty seven. That's a good win for them. Illinois beat Indiana in a high score of forty eight to forty five. And to finish off the games this week, Rice Sam Houston get their first win, CUSA win of the year. And of course, it comes against the team we both put in the CUSA title game, Louisiana Tech, who are at home and they beat them forty two. 27, what a dumpster fire of a team they've been this year. So much for Backmire.
1: Yep, his injury and what people thought was the best wide receiver room in the country, which on paper it could have been, just didn't materialise. And the Bulldogs are just, it's been a horrible year. Even the first two games when they had Hank, it wasn't great. Their, their team, like, hopes have just been... T- to, to all the hopes have been smashed and dream this year but Trey like their receivers Smart Carries getting get him in the portal pal get out of that dumpster fire Dakolas Crawford might even played this year he's barely even been active on most games I questioned him going there in the first place probably straight back in the portal but I don't see who's going to really want him to be honest he's not yeah. got really any pay behind him
0: he's going to have to that, drop that down
1: really should, small yeah, just go to next year but yeah Terrible. He's going to have to
0: drop down somewhere really small and you you probably end up, maybe end up in the Mac something like that. That That's where you could go. I don't know. Come back up north, but who knows with him. Right, that's everything in terms of the games from week 11. Now we'll just quickly look at the permutations for the conferences because there's two weeks left. So the state of play for everything in the American, we'll do it alphabetically, four-way scraps still for the title game. Tulane SMU and UTSA all sit at 6-0. Memphis sit behind them on 5-1. They have a loss to Tulane. So realistically, they're only going to catch them and be head and head but they've still got opportunities. So SMU and Memphis face off this weekend. Obviously, a loss eliminates Memphis. SMU could still qualify even if they lose, but it keeps Memphis in it. Tulane are on the road to Florida Atlantic. UTSA are at home to South Florida. I mean, you kind of feel out the fixtures there. UTSA will get the win this weekend and they'll sort of cement a place. But it's been a very competitive division this year and some really good teams in the mix. It's, it's This feels like a one with healthy competition at
1: the top, with good teams,
0: not a lot of teams who just don't want to win it.
1: Yeah, these are good teams going to their death. It says a lot when... Technically speaking, no one can book their spot no. with a week left. There'll be one week left and there'll be... At least three. Three teams, most likely, yeah. that That's competitive, that's healthy. That's not Big 12. We're all just going to keep getting knocked out and slipping up, but we're all still going to be in a chance to, at the end. Is it. These are good sides, and I think there's going to be some drama. I can see a shock...
0: Oh, I love it. I mean, I think we both had UTSA in that title game. I know I had Florida Atlantic in there. I think you had Tulane again, so you may get it. Bang on. Bang your money. Me, Florida Atlantic have messed me around, but hey-ho, it's still a very good conference this year. The Atlantic Coastal, the ACC, that is nearly sorted. Florida State have ran the table. They are in. Louisville sit at six wins, but they've just got one championship game left. Uh, Sorry, one game in the conference left Um, behind them. uh, So they played the Miami Hurricanes this weekend, Louisville do. So win that and you're in. If they slip up, UNC can catch them by running their remaining two fixtures because they've not played one another. So it'll come down to other factors. But UNC schedule, they're away at Death Valley this week. And then they're away at NC State in the rivalry game there. So I don't know, right? It's It, it feels like we know what it's going to be, but the, there is a very outside potential for something to happen there. But it, it feels like Florida State-Louisville is what it's going to be, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, it feels like they're best of the rest. and Everyone's kind of just, just fallen away. I just don't see them slipping up, not right now. Florida State, it, it's not the final I wanted, but it looks like it's the final win Get kind of disappointing, and yeah, yeah I've just said I did have Tulane to have U, UTSA in the final. Hey, so there you go, I want to get one right. I,
0: mean, I did,
1: did. have LA, I had LA Tech in the CUSA championship, I did as well. So, we're,
0: we're forgiven. We had New Mexico State as a dark horse, though that is on record on the show, so we can at least resort to that, but we. He got some bad ones. The Big Twelve next. My God, this My is a
1: complicated Clemson.
0: Yeah, so. yeah. I had Clemson. Um, I had Clemson. I say, I I think I had Clemson to win it over Florida. Oh, didn't have Florida State to win it? I don't know. I have to double check. Anyhow, the Big Twelve, complicated mess. Put simply, five teams have a shot of making the championship games. Through a various mixture of scenarios, Texas Longhorns. They sit top of the pile at six and one, but Oklahoma. Oklahoma State, Kansas State, and Iowa State are all five and two. Now, the big game this week, Texas traveled to Iowa State this week. The other three teams are all on the road. Kansas State in the rivalry game against Kansas, Oklahoma away at BYU, Oklahoma State at Houston. So this... Just pick names out of a hat, Ryan. I mean, Iowa State at home, if you want someone – you said you want someone to put down a statement and say they want to win this. Iowa State knock off the Longhorns at home with the spectacle there. That's putting down a moniker there. But the way the Big 12 has been this year, for four of the five teams competing to be on the road, I don't have a clue who's going to be still in this next week.
1: So if Texas win,
0: are they in? If Texas win, they're pretty much in unless three of the other, unless two of the other teams win and they've lost to the – so who have they – Oklahoma. They've lost to Oklahoma. They've not played Kansas State, I don't think. I th- it, it, it's as good as in. They're as good as in if they win. But if they lose, then everybody, all five teams, will be in play next week regardless of what happens.
1: It could all be six and two, yeah. So the team I'm worried about is the one that playing Houston. Like Houston have been, they've caused some upsets already this year, have not they? That's Oklahoma I State. Yeah, <laughs> I, what they i do. About, I think Oklahoma State are in big trouble. Like <laughs> it's easy to stack losses coming off such a bad performance. I can see them going to Houston and getting their ass kicked. I don't... think. They, I I love the Cowboys, but I feel like this is the week the dream dies. Uh, the way the Big 12 has been this
0: year, I would expect them to go there and drop 50 on Houston and just be like, what, what the hell, man? It's it's just um, no man's land. Do you reckon, wouldn't it be such a great story? Like, we've, we've highlighted Rocco Beck so much on this podcast this year. He, like, they went and smacked BYU on the road this week. And I know BYU are not among the creme de creme, but it's a hard place to go. And for in your seasons on the line, it's a must-win to stay in to go there and put down forty-six. Like he's showing a lot of promise this year and a lot of resilience because to what's ball, going on. Uh, have a chance. No, oh yeah, sorry, you didn't. Uh, two touchdowns, no interceptions for him. So it feels like Iowa State have nothing to lose in this for me. I feel like they're under zero pressure at all.
1: No, no pressure at all.
0: And Texas are. And Texas, in two of the last three weeks, have been pushed right to the end of the game. So it's such a fascinating thing. But I can't name you one team in there. Kansas State, the form team at the minute, but rivalry game, everything goes out the window. The Big
1: Ten. I predict Houston will upset Oklahoma State and end their chances. That's my hot take.
0: There we go. There we go. Mine will be Kansas win the rivalry game for the first time in 14 years. Oh, God damn it. That's a pick watch. All oh, right. Just pretend I didn't say that. Um, Big 10, the East. Of course, it's a two way fight between Michigan and Ohio State, who are both unbeaten. The winner of the game next week is in the West, Ryan. You're going to laugh at this. The West is a barren wasteland. So Iowa are on top five and two. Five teams are three and four with two games to go, but only three can catch them. So there are still four teams in play here. Illinois, they play Iowa this week, so they can close the gap to one and take the head-to-head. Minnesota already have the head-to-head, so they need to win out and hope Iowa lose out. But Minnesota are away at Ohio State this week, so that's highly unlikely. And then second bottom of the division, Nebraska can still do it. They play Iowa in the final week. So should they win away against Wisconsin this week and Iowa lose, Nebraska can snatch it next week on home ground against Iowa. I mean Jesus. Have Iowa got this weekend. Iowa are playing um Illinois. So if Illinois beat them. Illinois can still win the conference, the division, and then it's the same with Nebraska. So you've got Iowa, Illinois, and Illinois just beat Indiana in that like hundred point score fest. But who knows there? But Minnesota can do it. Nebraska can do it. I mean, I would just need a win and it's done. But I don't know. What do you think? They're at home to Illinois, and then they're on the road at Nebraska.
1: They won't need Nebraska game. Do you he think should get I don't think he'll be pretty but I reckon this team knows how to win under pressure it knows how to win the Big Ten West despite my my, my bad prediction last week that Rutgers would absolutely hammer them and actually got shut out which was
0: I spared me off. you that by not mentioning it but he
1: yeah, <laughs> was a good win for Iowa and Iowa will win Iowa will wrap it up this week I'm pretty you sure think I, have... I think they just they get over the finish line Defense wins championships, and they've got a hell of a defense, and that's that's all they need, really.
0: Yeah, I I think the odds are Iowa doing it, and you know, but we're going to
1: have an Iowa Michigan final again, aren't we?
0: Well, I was about to say, you know, we're going to discuss the other one, but I think we're both in agreement that Michigan, Michigan are going to pound gonna Ohio thing, State. Yeah, I've said as much as the I points.
1: They I hope they nail it. I State.
0: Do. I do as well. I think, I think that's where it's going. I said three scores last year. I think it's going to be 30 points this year. Um, CUSA already decided Liberty going to take on the New Mexico State Aggies. Jacksonville State would have been in the hunt. They're five and one behind the six and one Aggies, but banned. So can't, but CUSA already decided should be a great game. The Mac. Mac West was won a long time ago by Toledo, who climbed out of a massive hole against Bowling Green last night. They were miles. I was watching that, miles behind. And Bowling Green somehow lost it. They just need a dance partner from the East. The East is more complicated. So the Miami Red Hawks, who I predicted to be in the championship game against Eastern Michigan, who will not mention, sit top at five and one. Ohio's Ohio sit one game behind them at 4 and 2 and they hold the tiebreaker between the two teams. Uh third place Bowling Green are out, they're 4 and 3 last night, hopes done. And Miami have the tiebreaker against them, which is why they can't overtake them with one game to go. Uh fourth place Buffalo, however, can, but they need a lot to go their way so they're 3 and 3, they're two games back, but they play Miami over Ohio this week. So they need to win both games and hope both Ohio teams lose out. Ohio play Central Michigan and Akron to close the season. So it kind of feels like Buffalo is a bit of a non-factor. I don't think Miami of Ohio and Ohio are both going to lose out. But really interesting permutations here, right? The Redhawks one game in front, but they don't have the tiebreaker. So they've got to win out just to be sure. Um And they're still winning without the quarterback, which is surprising, but, you know, admirable for them. Do you sort of have a gut feeling? Do you think Ohio are going to catch them up, or do you think they'll make the title game?
1: I think Ohio are in a good place. That tiebreaker weighs heavy. Miami having to just win out to get there. I can see Buffalo doing Ohio a massive favour. I had Ohio in my championship game, also against Eastern Michigan. Less said, the better. But yeah, <laughs> I think that tiebreak. I think they're going to snatch it on a tiebreaker right at the death. I can see Buffalo beating Miami this weekend and Ohio just, just jumping to the top by default of what they did earlier in the season. So yeah, that, that will give them a lot of hope, that tiebreaker. You never say never. You could find yourself quickly in a championship game.
0: Yeah, that Ohio tiebreaker feels big for me as well. I... I, I when i think about it it just it it's like it's weighing there like an anchor holding the red hawks down i would love the red hawks to do it just so i could say i predicted it but without Brett Gabber you just never know what they're going to do but it's still impressive that they're there with him injured um mountain west another five-way dance off so with air force losing and san jose state like creasing fresno state in it's bunched everybody up so unlv and Air Force sit top on 5 and 1. Behind them Fresno State, San Jose State, and Boise State all bunched on 4 and 2. Now the top 2 play each other this week. So winner of that basically clinches one of the spots. The loser is going to be praying that whoever they've got the head to head over wins this week. Now there's way too many permutations for me to go through, but Fresno State They have the easiest tie. They're at home to New Mexico. San Jose State hosts San Diego State, and Boise State are on the road to Utah State. So, I mean, one of the top two is going to go through this week, right? It's going to be one of UNLV and Air Force, but I don't know. Do you see one of the teams below them coming in and stealing the spot from the pair of them?
1: I'm going to say Air Force win this weekend. And I'm going to say UNLV fall out, and I say Fresno State steals a place in the final.
0: They've got the head to head, so this is a much bigger game for UNLV because they've yeah they've got the loss to Fresno Air Force.
1: Crossing their fingers that Air Force get the job done because it'll help their case massively.
0: Yeah, well, because Air Force have only lost to Hawaii in the conference, so none of the teams below them have a head to head on Air Force. They could lose again. Which wouldn't be good for them because that'd be three on the spin, but you know, but yeah, it's going to be one of those two. But I, I don't, I see one of the, th- I don't see both UNLV and LV and Air Force making the game. I think the losers out, um, but we'll see with that. The Pac-12, surprisingly, nothing decided. Unbeaten Washington sit atop the pile, seven and O. Oregon a six and one, and Oregon State and Arizona sit at five and two. Now, Washington play Oregon at Oregon State this week. A win seals their place, but if they lose out, both Oregon and Oregon State can still overtake them. If Oregon beat Arizona State, they are in, unless Oregon State upset Washington, then it goes down to rivalry week with them. It'll be a three-way. Oregon State play both Washington and Oregon So they can get in by winning out, but they're playing the two teams above them. Or if Oregon lose to Arizona State somehow, then they can qualify by beating Oregon in rivalry week because they'll have the head-to-head on them. For Arizona to get second, they hold the head-to-head against Oregon State so they can leapfrog them, and they don't play Oregon this season. So they need to win out, hope Oregon lose one or both, and then Hope that the various head to head things work in their favor, but preferably they want Oregon to lose the rivalry game against Oregon State because they hold, they overhead against Oregon State. It's (laughs) there's still a lot of permutations here, right? You think you feel like this season Washington are safe, but they're not. They could still be out despite all this happening. There's, There's so much crazy stuff that could happen. It feels like Oregon State is the hardest, they've got to play Washington and Oregon, but everyone else. Even Arizona, it feels like the things might permutate just right for them.
1: Even Washington is simple. Winning you're in. Winning you're in. And they'll win. The finish line is in sight. I think they'll uh, I think they'll win. Oregon State, honestly, like fantastic year, and I've just watched them, but beating Washington and Oregon. Or hoping that in Arizona State that a plucky beat Oregon for them. seems a little bit... I don't know which one's less likely, to be honest. (laughs) Oregon State doing it themselves or Arizona State helping them. And then Arizona. I said Arizona. Arizona needing to beat Arizona State, but also hoping Arizona State beat Oregon for them. They're rooting for their rivals and then against them for the rivalry week. And they're playing Utah this week. Yeah. Yeah. I think Arizona, I love them, great year, but it's not happening. I don't think they're not getting that much help.
0: Yeah. So, Arizona, if if Arizona beat Utah, they're still alive, even if Oregon win. But then they would require Oregon State to beat Oregon the final week and Arizona to win again. And then it's a three way tie and they each have like tiebreakers over one another and stuff. So, it'll be crazy. But I mean, just for the just 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 for blowing it up. I mean, if if our if if Arizona State could win this week, that'd be great. That'd just throw that it right annoying. into chaos. It throw it right into chaos. But four teams in, and credit Arizona for still being there. Um, the SEC, uh, it's Georgia versus Alabama. Shock horror, already done and dusted. No one can catch either of them. Sun Belt, Troy have won the Sun Belt West courtesy. They they have the head to head. Over everybody who can tie up the number of wins with them. The East is a lot more complicated, although it shouldn't be. James Madison have ran the table and sit on top, but the transition ban is in its final year. They're prohibited from taking part. Coastal Carolina sit in second at five and two with one final conference game away at James Madison next week. They can be caught by App State who sit four and two and have two games left. But they've lost to Coastal, so they need to win out and hope Coastal lose, otherwise they lose on the head to head. But then Georgia Southern still have a shot. They're at three and three. They have the tiebreaker over Coastal. So if they win out and Coastal lose to James Madison, they will be in play because the final week they play Appalachian State and they're on a one game, they're only one game behind them. So a win will tie them up with Coastal, it'll tie them up with App State, and they'll have the head-to-head on both of them. I mean, it's a shame that James Madison can't do it right, but we've got a really interesting little three-way coming into the end of the season here, because Coastal, that's the hardest fixture possible for them. And then if Georgia Southern and App State win, App State have got to play Georgia Southern, who's got the tiebreaker over them, so they'll all end up on five wins and Georgia will beat the pair of them. It's it's intriguing.
1: Sounds like Coastal are a bit screwed. Does, don't the lead, they're, they're in the worst position of all three teams because they, they don't, I don't think they stand a chance of beating James Madison. On if the tonight we find out that James Madison can make a, a ball game, they'll go out there and they'll blast Coastal Carolina just to make a statement. And if they don't, like I said, they'll still go and right, route right through them. And then, yeah, like on the last day, App State, George Southern, it could be a win and you're in. And Coastal yeah. Carolina might just have to watch one of them take their place. Mm. So Coastal yeah. Carolina need to pull out the result of the year just to make sure they're in the big dance, even though they're in front. Yeah. yeah. I, I think Georgia Southern might might sneak it, you know, being I'd... App State on the last day.
0: I do. I, I I would love it. I, that would be such big stakes in there, and it'd be great. Um, but then it'd just be like coastal to go and beat James Madison or something stupid like that. I don't know. It's so much fun in the Sun Belt. and well done to Troy. Given we've not really talked about them much this year, they've they've done well in the Sunbelt West, maybe they'll get their title back. Who knows? Oh, they'll retain it. Sorry. <laughs> Who am I kidding? I backed them to win it last year and they did. They could go back to back in the Sun Belt against all odds. Right. That is everything in terms of the permutations for the conferences. Still a lot potentially to go on there. And let's finish it off because we've been going for a while with the preview of next week. We're quickly. We'll go through the pick watch fixtures, make our picks, and then maybe talk about a few of the big games on there. But a lot of the scrub non-con games are this week as well. So a lot of teams not playing competitive games. So, Ryan, let's see how we can do a few weeks to go. You've still got a shot if Paul does really bad in the next few weeks. You're in second currently, so... Colorado at Washington State. Battle of the Pac-12 teams who can't get a win to save their lives. Buffaloes after a 3-0 start, have gone 1-6, and which is their Pac-12 record. Sit joint 11th in the conference, and we know the weaknesses of this team, Ryan. The defense ranks 129th in the nation giving up 34 points per game on average pass rush is the only good thing about it they got 24 sacks this year but even then that's not great all the other aspects are poor and on offense they've got the worst rushing attack in the nation they don't even get 70 yards on the ground per game on average they put it all on the shoulders of Shadur sanders he's doing his part the passing offense is ninth in the nation but the wear and tear is showing he's been sacked 49 times this season second most in the country only old dominion have given up more sacks with 52 and the number of rushing yards is so low that even an elite passing offense can't put up enough numbers to help them win games you saw that this weekend just gone but washington state they're no better in terms of record they started 4-0 They've gone on a nightmarish 0-6 run since the latest a defeat at the hands of Cal of all teams. The offense ranks 43rd, the defense 101st. So again, like Colorado, they've got a good offense being dragged down by a torrid defense, but it's exactly the same problem. They've got the third passing offense in the nation with Cameron Ward, and they've got the 128th attack in rushing. So we've got the second and third worst rushing offences in the nation, complemented with two of the best passing offences going. Uh, So both teams can't run the ball for shit. They've both got quarterbacks who are under a lot of stress. Ward's been sacked 31 times, which is 112th, so they've got a pass pro problem as well. Defence is ranked 91st in the country. So, I mean, we're seeing two similar teams here, Ryan. Great passing attacks, quarterbacks getting drilled into the ground every game, defences that can't stop nothing for love nor money, and both of them are on some. the two worst runs in the pack at the minute. It's a battle at the bottom, but Washington State have home advantage. That may be the thing here. Who do you have winning this?
1: I think at times like this, I just go with which quarterback I'd trust more. And Cameron Ward in the last couple of weeks, has been like the Red Cross with takeaway giveaways. He has been turning on the ball over in multiple weeks at an alarming rate. He's had a real spate of turnovers. Shadot Sanders, on the other hand, they've been losing lots of games, but he's still been putting in very admirable performances and protecting the ball a bit better. I'll take Colorado because I think Shadot is still managing to play admirably, even with all the pressure under. He's yet to have a, a stinker. He's yet to have that bad yeah. game, even in a bad team. I think he can drag them across the line just.
0: Yeah. it. Washington is just on a, such a bad run at the minute. Colorado have 1-1 won, won in this bad spell. I've just i don't know, I've always felt a loyalty towards Washington State, but I just think they're in such a bad hole at the minute. I'm with you. I'm going to go Colorado as well. Um in better news, we've got a better Pac-12 fixture next. Number 19 ranked Utah at number 16 ranked Arizona. Huge matchup for Arizona, as I've mentioned this week. Win, and they're still in the hunt for the championship game, even if Oregon and Washington win this week. Wildcats lost their opening two fixtures in the conference, but then they've gone on an under-the-radar run with five wins. I didn't realize they were still in it because of where they've been And this is a highly balanced team. So the offense ranks 30th in total offense and the defense ranks 34th in total defense. So all round, this is a very tough team and they've done it without Jaden Delora, who had his ankle injury. But Noah Fafita has been incredible so far this year to the point that Delora can't get his starting job back again now that he's healthy. For Utah injuries taking the toll on the team they were six and one a month ago coming off that big win against usc but a win against arizona state has been sandwiched by losses to washington and oregon the defense is elite it's 15th in the nation but it's dragging along the 90th ranked offense which can't stay on the field because they don't have the quarterback and the offensive weapons in the passing game to do it they're 14th in sacks Top half in tackles for loss. They're the best third down defence in the nation and they're a top 40 red zone defence as well. But like I say, when they're in scrappy games, like they've won a lot of the low scoring scrappy games when they can run the ball and just do enough with the pass to stay in it. But when the big offences have come along, they can't keep up, which was the thing with Washington last week. And Arizona have got a very good offence, but... This is uncharted territory for them, right? They are gonna be under a bit of pressure, knowing that there's still an outside chance of a playoff berth. And Utah have nothing to lose now. But they're on the road. Who've you got? Utah at Arizona.
1: Can't believe I'm saying this, but I feel confident about Arizona. I think that that I think they can simply outscore Utah. And I trust for Vita right now. Bryson Barnes is too inconsistent for me, unfortunately. See, Vafita's had such a great season, you
0: figure there's got to be... He's not had a bad performance. And if there's ever going to be a bad performance, I feel like it will be against this Utah defence. So I'm going to split from you and go Utah. I just don't know if they're quite there yet, but I'd love them to win but I just feel like the freshman's going to – he's going to have a comeuppance here. This is the time he's going to face an elite unit, and they're going to have issues. But we will see. Next, Big 12, Purdue at Northwestern. Big 10, West pit. Instead of a cess pit, it's a West pit because it's awful. Neither team can take the division, but Northwestern, unbelievably, sit 5-5 five and five on the year, as we've already mentioned. They can secure a bowl berth with a win here, which, given what they've been through, is some achievement. Purdue have been nothing more than a complete letdown. They're rock bottom of the conference, the only team in the division to not have a minimum of three conference wins, and they're just three and seven on the year. The Hudson card transfer has not worked. Nothing has worked in the absence of Jeff Brome. Points-wise, they've given up the most in the Big Ten with 311, but they are just one point behind Illinois as most biggest point scorers in the West. Classic Purdue, Ryan. Like, all offence, even worse defence, but just to a more extreme limit this year. Northwestern, as you mentioned earlier, they're average to below average across the board, but that is good enough for wins when you're all sort of average in there. Um, Purdue at Northwestern. Can Northwestern claim a ball berth or will Purdue spoil the party?
1: Purdue have been awful. Hudson card. I put in my preseason watch team. He has been dog shit. I understand now he in it, and I understand why he didn't ever play at Texas. Give me Northwestern, and it won't be close. I
0: just feel like it's the classic trap game, but yeah, I'm going to go Northwestern as well. I want the new head coach to start off his official reign with a win and a ball berth. I think they deserve it. Uh, Next up, UNC at Clemson. ACC action. USC still have a faint slither of hope that they can make the title game, but they do need Louisville to lose their last conference game against Miami, uh, but they're on the road in Death Valley. UNC are 8-2 and two on the season. They're 4-2 and two in the ACC. Unbelievably, this is only their third away game of the year. They've played... Most of their games, I think they're eight home games, three away games they'll be after this. They're one and one on the road. The team we've always known them to be. They're third in total offence. They're 80th in total defence. For Clemson, historically bad down year by their standards. They're ninth in the ACC with a three and four record. And they're only six and four on the season. They might get like a Bahamas bowl invite if they're not careful. But they are riding a two game win streak. The defence is the star of the show. As always, it is 6th nationally in total defence, although it drops to 39th in scoring, but they only give up 21 points a game. Should be more than good enough for a good offence to work with. Trouble is, they don't have a great offence, although the stats may trick you otherwise. They're 45th in scoring offence with just over 30 points per game, which is more than enough when your defence gives up 21, but... You've got to take into account that 114 of those points came against Charleston, Southern, and Florida Atlantic. That dilutes those scores big time. They scored just seven against Duke, 17 against Wake Forest and North Carolina State, and just 20 against Miami. I mean, we know how bad this Clemson team has been, right? But they're at home. UNC still have something to play for. But we know how bad they are. It's... I don't know. I don't know what to call this one as, but it's Death Valley, and usually I go with the home team then, but can UNC keep those fate slithers alive?
1: No. Everything you've told me means this is all set up for UNC fucking it all up, playing a terrible game against a crap Clemson offence, and the Tigers will somehow win a really low-scoring game. Drake may probably lay an absolute egg.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I've got Clemson as well. I took Clemson two weeks ago when they played Notre Dame when no one else did. You're usually good on them in Death Valley. Um, Kansas State at Kansas, the Sunflower Showdown, they need a new name for that. It just doesn't sound befitting such a big rivalry, but it's a bitter in-state rivalry. It's all the way back to the 1800s, an argument between the two cities who fought for the right to have the state university. K-State has Kansas bent over a barrel in this rivalry right now. 14-game win streak dating back to 2009. Six of those times they've been ranked, whereas Kansas never have in that period until now. They started the season slow. They had the early loss to Mizzou and to Oklahoma State, but in the last month they've been firing hard on both sides of the ball and have won everything outside of that three-point loss to Texas in overtime the offense is putting up serious numbers they put up 42 on Troy 44 on UCF 38 on Texas Tech 41 on Houston 41 on TCU 30 against Texas 59 against Baylor most recently the defense started slow but the last five weeks it's really shown its teeth it pitched a shutout against Houston just three points against TCU Texas Tech only got 21. Baylor only got 25, and that was garbage points against them in a blowout. Only Texas gave them a tough time with 33, and that took overtime. So they are on form right now. They are in the title race and facing a team they've beaten 14 times in a row. But Kansas under Leopold are a new team they were six and seven last year they're seven and three this year another big scoring offense who routinely put up 30 plus points problem with them has been defense they've only kept one big 12 team to under 20 points and that was the game they lost this weekend against texas tech but it's rivalry everything goes out the window i'm predicting like a 110 point epic here with a win for kansas ryan can the Wildcats keep their hopes of a repeat alive, or will Kansas just epitomize this Big 12 season and ruin them?
1: I don't think Kansas can keep Kansas State under 35 points. So I don't see any way the Jayhawks can win. Their defense has just not been good enough. All right. Like I think Kansas State have just got, they're just too good on offense recently. So we're splitting.
0: You're going Kansas State. I'm going Kansas. It's a game I'm going to watch, though. I think it will be a tremendous game there. Right, let's go through these last few because we've been going some time. Washington at Oregon State. We've already discussed these teams earlier. You think you've already really given your answer, but double down. Who have you got?
1: Washington comfortably booking their place.
0: See, the trouble is this is a tough test. Oregon State run the ball better than most teams in the country and DJU has been really good this year and their defense is legitimate but Washington have had back-to-back fixtures against highly ranked sides and won them both i'm still sticking with Washington but i think this is going to be like this is going to be walk off field goal territory i think it's going to be so close between these two but Washington just sneak it out so Washington there um CUSA Rice at Charlotte Dregs at the bottom of the conference. Charlotte, I think Poji's going to get fired soon, but we needed to throw something the Dregs in there. Rice at Charlotte. Who you got? Give me Rice. I'll
1: just take J T Daniels and Luke McCaffrey.
0: Yeah, I like I like the Rice Owls and Charlotte. They lost in overtime to I can't remember. I think it was no, I can't remember. But they lost in overtime this week. They've not looked good recently. I think Poji's going to be one and done there. Right. Nail your colors to the mast. UNLV at Air Force, battle of the top two teams in the Mountain West. Win and you're pretty much in. UNLV are on a two game win streak after that loss to Fresno State. Air Force lost two in a row.
1: Not looking good. Who you got? The Falcons are going to redeem themselves. They're going to stop the rot and they're going to take, they're going to put one hand in the championship game.
0: See, I'm emotionally invested in both these teams, so I can't pick on emotional investment. Um, oh. I want both of them to be in the title game, and for that to happen, UNLV need to win, Plus, Air Force hold the tiebreaker over everybody else. So I'm going to go UNLV win, but this will be the title game in three weeks' time. Um, we've got a couple left. UCF at Texas Tech, the upset artists this week, I right? UCF, upset <laughs> Oklahoma State. Texas Tech upset Kansas, Big 12 all over the place. You've got the highly powered UCF offence coming up against Taj Brooks and this Texas Tech offence that we know can be really good. But which of the two upsetters is going to go on a two-game streak now?
1: Give me Gus Malzahn and the Knights. I think think they put down another hammering.
0: See, I'm going to split it. I'm going to Texas Tech. UCF have had a bad season. I don't know. I think Texas Tech can just keep them in there enough. And finishing it off, back in the American, North Texas at Tulsa finishes off right.
1: Who have you got? I'm not buying what Tulsa did against Tulane, so I'll take North Texas.
0: Yeah, I will take North Texas just about as well. Right, let's quickly go through the rest of the rank fixtures and then we'll get out of here. Because we have been on for some time. So Georgia on the road at Tennessee. Assuming we're saying no upset there. No. Yeah. Uh Minnesota on the road against Ohio State. Absolutely not. Michigan on the road against Maryland. Absolutely not. Florida State at home to North Alabama from the FCS. If they lose that, that'll make my week. Um Oregon at oh uh, well, right. Oregon are coming to out to some devil stadium, Ryan. Well, what percentage chance do you give the Sun Devils this week? Ten. So you're Right. So it could happen, but very unlikely. Very unlikely. Okay. Texas away at Iowa State. I don't know what your feelings on this. Do you, do you think they could go up this weekend? Or are Iowa State just not quite
1: there to be that team just yet? I think Iowa State my i think texas might throw away the game more iowa state will go ahead and win it like it will depend on who's a quarterback who's the running back like it's really hard to say what this texas team will look like on sunday if mm-hmm. rocco Beck has a positive turnover margin then they've got every chance in the world to win he cannot yeah. turn the ball over no that's fair
0: that's fair i get that um Chattanooga at Alabama, not even going to justify that with the discussion. Florida at Missouri. I mean, no, no. Missouri got better than. Missouri got better than. Louisville on the road to the Miami Hurricanes. We've said that has big implications there. I mean, do
1: you see an upset no, there? Okay.
0: No, no upset there then. Um I I, I I'm I'm not going to insult you with the Rutgers at Penn State. Is is the Rutgers love gone? Is it dead? In, is it dead inside you
1: now? No. Oh, I think Rutgers will keep it with, like one score. Oh, right. It's just evaporated.
0: All right. Yeah, same with me. Um, ULM. So that's Louisiana Monroe away at old Miss, number thirteen. Don't think so there. Oklahoma at BYU. I don't know. Are you feeling the BYU train? Feeling an upset? Trying to look for some genuine upsets here. It could be a high scorer. Yeah. Okay. Um. Georgia State away at LSU. No. Illinois at Iowa. You've already given your prediction for that. Wake Forest at Notre Dame. Wake? Uh, why Notre Dame ranked? I don't get why three-lost Notre Dame team are ranked. That just seems unfair, but I don't think Wake Forest are going to beat them. UNC at Clemson. Kansas at Can- Kansas State. at Kansas. Oklahoma State at Houston. Tulane at Florida Atlantic. Is this the week that it comes a bit unstuck for them, or do they put the jitters behind them? It could be.
1: I could see Tulane slipping up, to be honest.
0: I could as well there. Um, And that is about it for the main ones. Let's just have a quick check through, make sure there's nothing missed. App State at James Madison. Oh, yeah, I forgot to mention that in the Sunbelt thing. App State are away at James Madison this week, so... Actually, that Georgia Southern thing is true because James Madison played those. (laughs) Georgia Southern are the only two of those, the only one of those three teams James Madison don't play. And they're both away at James Madison. So results are there. What else? Don't think there's a great deal else there. New Mexico State go to open this week. I mean, stranger shit's happened. I know what I'm going to put a low key upset there because New Mexico State have nothing to lose waiting for the championship game now. So I think they could win that. Right, I'm going to call it because it's very late. We have been going a long time. Appreciate everyone who has listened. Most of this has been done on recording. I apologise, but, you know... Internet is not playing ball. Well, Streamlabs is not playing ball with me at the minute and it's annoying having to keep resetting streams online. So we'll do these as recorded for the time being while I try and fix these issues out. But yeah, thanks to everyone who's listened in. You know where to find us, Roar of the Lions UK, all over the internet. Uh, we'll be back Friday with the main Detroit Lions podcast. Me and Ryan will be back next week. We will do the edge section next week. I apologise, Frank. It's just we had that much to go through this week. we have been going three hours and I still could have done more. So we want to put it in when we're not just overshooting the episodes massively. So we'll do it next week. Hopefully not too many coaches get fired there. But yeah, thanks to everyone who's listened. We really appreciate you all. This has been the College Football Podcast and we shall see you again in a week. Thank you ever so much and we'll see you soon. One Pride. Thank you for supporting the Roar of the Lions UK podcast. You can find us on our socials on YouTube at Roar of the Lions UK, Twitch, Twitter and Instagram. ROTL underscore UK and on our website www.roarofthelionsuk.com